0: On today's show, Howard reunites with a familiar face. I love these stories. Why did you end up being the drummer for Nirvana? Why
1: didn't you always start drummer. your
2: I started playing guitar when I was like 10. Yeah. And then I started playing drums in a punk rock band when I was like 14 because the guy who was playing just sucked. Songwriter Dave
1: Grohl with a new tell-all.
3: Oh,
4: maybe,
3: maybe, maybe I can share it with
1: you. Dave Grohl, the great Dave Grohl, of
0: course, of Foo Fighters. This guy's a good guest. Only on the Howard Stern Show. Good morning.
1: Big morning. Big morning. We've got uh, Dave Roll stopping by later in the show. He's going to talk about his new book. It's a fun book. He's telling all his stories of rock and roll. I really enjoyed it. Looking forward to talking to him. I uh, did a little bit of research last night, was on the phone with John Hine, we were talking all things Dave Grohl, doing my job. God, the day got away from me yesterday. We did the show, we went late yesterday, and then, I don't know. I'm on a very strict schedule these days, because I told you, my neighbor's building a house, so... They, they, there's, they're they, they're at that part of the house where you pile drive those big metal beams into the ground. And uh, there's a special machine that does it. So my whole house is shaking and making noise.
5: Is it the thing that goes clank, 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 yeah. clank, clank? Yeah, because it's battering it into the ground.
1: Ooh. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like boom, 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 boom.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's got a nice beat. You want to write a song? Yeah.
1: Well, actually, sometimes I start playing drums to it. I'm like... <laughs> Hey, what is this, man? What are we playing? What is going on? Is that me? Am I playing something, or is Fred playing that? Fred, is that you? I don't know. Yeah, my computer was haunted. I didn't even hit it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm hearing music, and I'm like, "What the yeah, I, fuck?" I thought there was a mix going on, and and all of a sudden, I realized it was me. Okay. Sorry. Technical glitch. That's so fucked up. Mm, we'll cut you out of the show later. <laughs> So uh, yeah, so I'm on this weird schedule because um, they they start this banging at a certain time in the day, and then um, I've asked the builders if they could knock it off from noon to one so I could meditate slash nap because if I don't get a nap, I'm a bear. I'm just unbearable, and I can't. And then I got work to do the rest of the day, so I need my little snooze. So at noon yesterday, they stopped. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in my bedroom, and I'm feeling it shaking. And there's noise, this weird noise. I'm like, the you know, the princess and the pea. All right. And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? now? So I guess they decided not to pile dry. But during noon to one, they decided to move dirt with some machine that makes a lot of noise. Oh. And, and I'm like, oh, dudes, just give me a fucking hour to fucking mellow out here. I was just, I, I just, and I'm running around. I'm yelling at Beth. I'm yelling at everyone, you know, because I'm the king. King of all media. Uh, Of your house,
5: anyway. You're not king next door.
1: (laughs) No. So so I was all cranky. Then I went for my daily walk with Beth, but I was cranky on the walk and came back and I had everything timed out. And then I realized I made an appointment with my shrink. I forgot completely about it because we're doing the show on Wednesday in the afternoon with Mick Uh. Jagger. And uh, I had to change my schedule around, so all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh no!" And then, Beth was annoyed because I was late for dinner, and then after dinner I, I had to get on. The, I think I had to get on with John Hine. By the time I got done with everything for the show, it was way past my bedtime. Oh. I was very aggravated. Yeah. Oh, when and, and oh, but a pleasant surprise. Like I had to work out. I do like a ten minute workout, but um. I worked out and Beth came like running into the, to the, our gym area. And she says, uh, okay, bang a clock. I go, what, (laughs) what do you mean? Bang a clock. I was like, would this is, you know, usually, you know, I have to, you know, beg for a few hours (laughs) and she was like, I'm ready. I was like, you need it. Oh, this is awesome. She goes, I know you have a lot of, maybe she thought I had so much work to do that I would have said no or something. But I was like, I I said, I'm dropping everything. Bang a clock. That's right.
5: You're not turning that down.
1: (laughs) Fuck no. I go, but honey, give me five minutes to shower. I'm sweaty. You know, because I just worked out. And she goes, you're not sweaty. I saw that workout. Oh, (laughs) 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 I said, no, feel my forehead. It's a little bit dewy. She goes, it's not even dewy. You can bang me with uh i was surprised she wanted to be smelly but i really wasn't smelly she was right uh so uh yeah i had bang a clock you know it doesn't last too so long that I was don't... a
5: full day <laughs>
1: yeah no i had a full day and then i hopped off her got in the shower real quick you know i mean i was like on fire with activities yeah. Yeah. No time to uh, really wallow in any kind of despair. I was just busy.
5: <laughs> no despair time yeah. yesterday.
1: Nope. I didn't have any time to just, you know, wah, wah, wah. I just was like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Bang a clock. Oh. And I never get tired of uh, having sex with that woman. I'm well,
5: like- that was my question. It was like, when was the last time? Because maybe that's why you were all. Agitated and irritated
1: about everything. <laughs> yeah, I was, a, I was irritated and agitated <laughs> for not having it. No, I mean, it had been, you know, I don't know. I don't keep track, but it had been a couple of days. Mm. And I, I realized I felt a lot more relaxed once I got all that poison out of me.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that really helped. I was like, you know, and then I feel like I'm like king of the world after I get laid.
5: Yeah, like, you yeah. walk around with a strut in your step.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm desirable. <laughs> I even got on my computer in my underwear. You know what I mean? Like, oh. feeling sexy. <laughs> I want to. I said to Beth, I want to have sex for a while. Those guys are pile driving and making all that noise next door, so I could do it in time to the machine they use, and that could make me feel very macho as the bed shakes. Maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Well, you know, and our, you know, like, like while we were eating dinner too, like Beth was telling me about guys who would come on to her in the past, like famous guys and stuff. And like, that gets me very charged up, you know, guys who would hit on her and things like that. Uh, And that's our fourth. How does
5: that come up? Or she just does that for you every once in a while.
1: No, she just does it. (laughs) (laughs) And that gets me cuckoo. And then I, uh, I'm all good to go.
5: So you're less cranky today?
1: Yeah. One thing about me, at my advanced age, the boner no problem. I'm not on any Cialis or uh, anything. Like she says, uh, bang a clock and boom, I'm I'm at full, I'm I'm fully aroused almost <laughs> as soon as she says it.
5: She doesn't get bang out before you're.
1: <laughs> no, she just like she she maybe has to rub my penis for like a second, and then I'm I'm like, okay, enough of this nonsense. Let's go. <laughs> let's get let's get right to it let's get to the main well, event i
5: hope she's ready
1: <laughs> oh she's always ready when you're with listen you've never been with me i'm a huge <laughs> star you have no idea what that's like i see i see yeah i've been on letterman <laughs> it's like mandatory 15. to be ready anybody know how many t- i just tell beth i've been on letterman 17 times or something like that
5: <laughs> that's foreplay
1: yeah for me i just tell myself that <laughs> <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, I've really matured, but my penis has remained immature, you know well, I good. don't
5: think a penis ever grows up.
1: no, I think my penis that's has no you have idea to
5: deal with, yes,
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah, you know, and I even tell Beth I said, yeah, you should be naked in my bed because you do all that hydro, and so someone ought to appreciate. The shape you're in. Let's go. Let's get down to it. Let's get let's get into this. And uh I'm sure it's quite a treat for her to be with. Uh the king of all media, of course.
5: <laughs> Does she say that? Is that what she calls you while you're yeah, she goes, she goes pile thank driving.
1: you. Yeah, while I'm pile driving. She goes, Thank you, King of All Media. <laughs> it's a very sick scene in there. Uh Thank you. Give thank it to me, you. king thank of you. all me. Thank
3: media. you. Thank 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 oh. you. Ah, ah, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, my mistress. Thank you, my mistress. Hi- again, my mistress. Thank you, my mistress.
1: Thank you, my mistress. Again, my mistress.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
6: thank
1: you, Fartman. Man. <laughs> I go, you know, I was Fartman on MTV. Thank you, Fartman for this gift.
3: Ah, yes. Thank you. Thank you, my mistress. Thank you, my mistress. Thank you to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah, the day went so fast, I didn't even get a chance to go on Facebook and do what I like doing, which is uh, watching bullying videos.
5: Bullying videos?
1: Yeah, it's these, um, I don't know how Facebook knows I'm into this, but like,
5: you don't know I, how. That's all they do. That's what they do.
1: <laughs> they're great at it. I, I know people are upset, supposedly, that Facebook understands what you're into, but I totally appreciate that fucking service. You go. There's a button on there called Watch, and as soon as I hit it, it's just one bullying video after another. My bullying. Maybe I'm using the wrong term. Maybe it's you. Let's call it revenge videos. They like the first one is uh, Denzel Washington in The Equalizer. You know that scene? I think it's Equalizer Two. I don't think it was the first one, but I'm not sure remember Denzel sitting on a he's dressed up as um like an Islamic guy with that little like Islamic yamaka with the hat beard on. Yeah. did that wool hat whatever that's called <laughs> is that a Kofi or something I don't I know what have it no
5: is. idea. it's a knit cap I've seen it a knit before, cap. but I don't know its name,
1: yeah, if you're a Muslim you wear a knit cap it looks like a yamaka, which probably disturbs them but <laughs> uh yeah, so Like Denzel Washington's just sitting there minding his own business. And these guys are all on the train who are all terrorists and they're all tough guys. And he mouths off to them, And the next thing you know, they're going to beat his fucking ass and kill him. Right. Denzel's Denzel just sits there, looks at his watch and he turns on his watch, the little second timer. And then he gets like a vacant look in his eyes and he beats the shit out of these guys who are (laughs) twice his size and he stabs them and shit kills them all Then he calmly like dusts himself off and walks over to this uh the head like bad guy who's like an intellectual and uh they sit down have a very intellectual conversation about killing and about you know life and denzel's very calm and basically says you know look i'm gonna kill you but i'll give you a second chance if you come clean and turn yourself in and you know that kind of thing and then there's these other ones where kids are in high school and all of a sudden they beat up other kids who are the bullies in the high school. Anything where people beat up. Okay,
5: so are these real or are these movie scenes?
1: Movies. Movie scenes. Okay. Revenge scenes. And like like the Charles Bronson, obviously, from, uh, you know, or even Mr. Me. Mi- yeah, Death Wish or Mr. Miyagi, you know, beating up those guys at the gas station who are going to fuck with Hillary Swank in uh, Karate yeah. Kid 3. Anything where it's a shock to the bullies that the dude knows karate and can kill them in like two seconds, and they all look win- like Mister Miyagi looks like a little tiny Chinese guy who can't do shit. Next thing you know, he's putting his foot up your ass, <laughs> and then, and like embarrassing you in the worst way. Like like you throw a punch and you miss, and then you you conk your head out on the on a on a on a gas pump. You know what yeah, I mean?
5: Even if you're swinging, he makes you look stupid.
1: Yeah, or he picks you up by the seat of your pants and and, and bashes your head into a tire. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and you break your neck. Or there's one scene that I really like when Tom Cruise is sitting in a rest. He's sitting in a diner and this girl comes over and she's like offering. She goes, come on, let's get out of here. And he knows that she's up to some shit and he took, basically calls her a whore. And then with that, seven guys come over and said, "Did you? That's our sister, and you called her a whore. Step out. Do so you want us to kill you here, or do you want us to kill you outside?" <laughs> and Tom grows. Tom Cruise says to them, "Why don't you guys go pay your bill now?" And they go, "Why?" He goes, "Because when we step outside afterwards, you're not going to be able to pay your bill. You guys are all going to be fucked up." And uh they go, "Yeah, right." There's seven of us, or whatever. There's five of us. He goes, "All right." I guess you want to go outside. You sure? You're bringing this on yourself. And they're like, ha, 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 you fucking moron douchebag. (laughs) We're the toughest guys in this town. And you're fucking just like one guy and you're Tom Cruise and you're short. Then he insults their sister some more. Then after he's done, he pays his bill and he's all, he's just like, oh no, here we go again. I'm going to have to beat the shit out of these guys. They step outside. Tom Cruise calmly hangs up his jacket on a on a lamppost so that it won't get ruined. And he says, you guys sure you want to do this? Because, um, you know, it's not going to go well for you. I'm, this is your last chance to get out of fighting me. And they're like, fuck you, you fucking cunt, you know, all this shit. And then Tom Cruise says, look, I'm going to kick all your asses now, all three of you. He goes, there's five of us. He goes, No. I'm going to beat... You're the leader, right? I'm going to beat you up first. Then the other two are going to make some lame attempt to get me. But the last two guys always run away. And they go, you've you've done this before against five guys? He goes, oh, yeah, the last two always run away. And they go, uh, well, yeah, well, fuck you. And then he goes, okay, I don't have all day. Let's get this started. Who, let's go. They start fighting. Within three seconds, Tom Cruise has these guys on the ground. They're all bleeding. Their arms are broken. He put his foot in some guy's face while he was beating a guy up with his foot while he's punching out the main guy. (laughs) (laughs) Smacking him around. I've watched this clip now 50 times. And then, um, and of course, he beats up the leader. He He kicks the shit and like mashes it in the nuts into the other two guys. And the other two guys look at him and go, fuck this. And they run away. Of course. Yeah. And the girl runs away too. And, um, then the cops come, but he's, of course, some sort of secret service guy, and they, of course, let him out. Yeah. I love these, uh, revenge clips or whatever you call them because I, I wish my life had gone differently. I wish I had been a martial artist Power. slash Eddie Van Halen style guitar player plus radio.
5: There is no person like the people you see in the
1: movie. No, I could have done it. I could have done it. <laughs> I, I really hate am to convinced. Tell you,
5: there is nobody like that.
1: You know what, Robin? When you get to my level of fame, you start to believe you can do anything. Remember, Mike Tyson was interviewed, and he said, "Yeah, if I didn't go into boxing, I would have liked to have been a brain surgeon." Yes,
4: Yeah.
1: And he wasn't bullshitting. He was like, you know, you had to do no, it he straight. No, he face. Could do it. Yeah, he yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I'd be Jack Reacher with a radio career, <laughs> and and also Eddie Van Halen.
5: Oh my goodness!
1: On the side. I was reading some interview with Dweezil Zappa who was talking about when he was young it was so great he decided he wanted to play guitar so his father Frank Zappa started like to like help him out with the guitar and then I guess Dweezil's hero was uh Randy Rhodes from the Ozzy Osbourne band and then um, of course Eddie Van Halen and Frank uh, had Eddie Van Halen come over and give Dweezil the guitar lessons. Can you imagine? Like what a great dad Frank was. I mean my dad never brought a uh, Eddie Van Halen over.
5: He never brought anybody home, did he?
1: <laughs> no, nobody. You know what? Nobody came to our house. It's <laughs> like a, it was like, a, like the monsters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if i had had the proper training, I could have been Howard Van Reacher. <laughs> I'll kick your ass. Because I'd always want to be that, you know? It would be so cool if, like, there were some chicks around. And, like, I was in high school, and I'm a loser. Well, I mean, that's the part I lived. <laughs> but it would have been great if somebody fucked with me, and then I could have just beaten the shit out of them. And even, like, I went to an all-black high school. I I, I would have, um, how cool would it have been when the black kids were beating me up, like, if I would have beaten them up? Like, all of a sudden, oh, my God, the white man actually fought back and, and, and was able to fight. And then all the black people would have been, my friend.
5: Well, if they were coming at you one on one, you might have been able to fight.
1: But no, that's I, what no. I
5: love about the guys that are supposedly bullies, they need a team. They always now, have I got a team you, around them. What?
1: In Roosevelt, I was beaten um by a lot of solo by black guy? guys. Yeah. Like I remember this guy who beat me beat me in shop class till I was almost unconscious. Oh, He dear. was a real. He was a real man. He he did it on his own. He didn't need any help. <laughs> he he, he sized team. me up good. No, no, no. You know, sadly, nobody need. I mean, I have fought teams of people, but actually they were white guys. Anytime that I was ever beaten up by uh, like three guys at once, it was white guys. Black guys, they, they, at least they're honorable. The black people are very nice when they, be, they give you a shot. You know, it's one on one. They give
5: you a one on one.
1: They give you one on White people are bullies in packs. <laughs>
4: well someone once said to me
1: well it's good you had that kind of childhood because now you beat people with your words i go that's lame jack reacher (laughs) (laughs) didn't like talk those guys down
5: Word words
1: yeah i don't want words i want to be a (laughs) silent clint eastwood type i watch a lot of clint eastwood videos where he comes into town and beats the shit either whether it's dirty harry the my favorite dirty harry revenge or 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 uh sort of bullying type thing. Every day, Dirty Harry goes for the same cup of coffee at the same place. He goes in, he walks into the diner, and the fucking waitress, who always gives him his coffee, is acting weird, and she puts in like five sugars and lots of milk. Dirty Harry walks out, he takes a sip of the coffee, and he's like, motherfucker. He spits out the coffee. It, and then, then he goes, mm-hmm. Why would she put five shirts? This is the woman who gives him his coffee every morning. Right. He knows the shit's going. It's a sign. (laughs) He knows the shit's going down. So, of course, he peeks in through the Venetian blind. He sees a bunch of guys. Of course, white and black guys. Even at that point, they were careful to make the criminals, you know, both races. It was a team of like three criminals robbing the diner, like two white guys and a black guy.
5: Well, don't you that's what's funny to me about some of those movies because it's always the gang that's integrated.
4: Yeah. Like, yeah. The gang
5: is like a, a great place situation. for
1: Yeah, this tremendous equality in the gang. <laughs> yeah, in the movies. <laughs> in the a, worst a united people. <laughs> it's like the United Nations of Evil got together and and said, "Look, let's have someone from every race.
5: We need diversity in yeah. our gang."
1: And how much money could a diner have? I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to rob something, like... But anyway. Do you need a whole team? Up. Yeah, you're
5: just <laughs> yeah. not going to make diner. much money.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the gang was like... The the gang looked like the, the the front page of one of those college pamphlets that you get when you're thinking of applying, you know? Like a very nice-looking uh, black gentleman and a very, very two handsome white men. And um anyway, so... Dirty Harry goes, oh, this shit. So he comes back in and he starts complaining about his coffee. And then within two seconds, he reveals himself. Well, he blows the fucking shit out of these guys with that big gun. He's got. He carries like a, <laughs> what does he carry, a forty-five?
5: Magnum. yeah. A magnum. Magnum.
1: Yeah. Which no cop carries. You know, it's like a revolver Magnum. The gun's too heavy, too hard to conceal. But of course, he's an expert with that fucking Magnum. <laughs> You can't carry what everybody else carries. Like a normal, like a Glock 19, like what police, you know. But the but Dirty Harry was made a long time ago. I don't even think the Glock was invented. but I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know the history of guns. But anyway, uh, yeah. So Dirty Harry fucks up everybody. And he shoots up the whole fucking diner without hurting anyone but the criminals. And then the final criminal is, like, thinking of fucking around with uh, Dirty Harry. And that's the one where he, like, holds the guy, the gun to the guy's head. And he goes, hmm. I've lost track. I don't remember if I fired off six bullets or, you know, he gives him that whole speech. And yeah. goes you feel lucky punk. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, I'm glued to what I, I want to be the guy who can defend himself. You know, I want to be able to defend my woman.
5: You want to be a grown man now still beating up people.
1: Yes. Thank you, thank you for understanding me. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I would have been a lot more self confident. And then, of course, because I play guitar like Eddie Van Halen, a lot of people would want to just jam with me. And it seems like a pretty good life: beating up people, jamming, and then doing the radio show. You know, how so I can make a could living. you
5: marry using your hands to beat people with playing the guitar?
1: Yeah, but I could be, I could just beat you up with my feet, so I don't hurt my hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm so good at it. Like Jack Reacher barely uses his hands. I, I love think the idea.
5: Eddie Van Helen needed to fight because everybody wanted to hear him play. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
5: Maybe you're looking for too many superpowers.
1: A lot of rock stars can fight, though. Look at Dee Snyder. Yeah. Fucking D is a, a badass. You know, he grew up in the community right next to mine. So D's a tough guy. There's a, a great video of D on um, on um uh, YouTube. I watch it. I, I watch that all the time, too. <laughs> D's in England. He's a young guy. I guess Twisted Sister was just sort of happening. But D was full on looking like, you know, he's dressing like a woman. He had the big, giant bouffant. He had the fucking, uh, you know, the spandex, everything. And he's walking
7: around yeah, England all of like it. that. The
5: makeup, everything.
1: And some British dude mouths off to d and fucking d beats this i mean this is no movie it's the real thing he beat the (laughs) shit out of this guy i mean he just leveled the motherfucker this kid didn't even stand a chance that was a real fight and uh and i've seen d up close i mean remember i was in england and uh performing on stage performing with the band twisted sister or somebody and it was massive.
5: I don't know. I was a yeah. twisted sister.
1: Yeah. We were doing a number together. You know, I was singing. I was doing duetting with D and,
4: <laughs> and,
1: uh, some guy started fucking with us in the audience throwing shit right up at us. I mean, like a cup, like, I mean, like a ceramic cup or like something, something
5: and, that could hurt you. Yeah.
1: D, we get to the, we get to the, 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 the guitar solo. D flies off the stage lands on the guy and beats the shit out of him, gets back up and finishes the song. (laughs) He wasn't going to take it. You know that song, I'm not going to take it? We're not going to take it? He didn't take it. He was serious. He was serious. Yeah. Like, (laughs) if I sing we're not going to take it, everyone goes, you're going to take it. Right up the ass, you (laughs) asshole. (laughs) I couldn't write a song like we're not going to take it. Because I've been taking it my whole life. You would write a song, I'm taking it. (laughs) I'm taking it. I'm... I am going to take it. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to take it. Take it. You can do whatever you want. Oh, I have no choice but to take it. Oh, no. I'm going to take it. Sick of taking it once more. Oh, you're going (laughs) to bend over and take it. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to take it. I was raised to take it. Good drum part, too. Yeah, coming at you, WNBC. Everybody, we're not going to take it. I mean, I'm going to take it, but you're not going to take it. (laughs) I'm going to grit my teeth and take it. I can't stop taking it, taking it is all that I ever do, never learned karate, my father never taught to me to throw a punch, so what I do is take it every day, come on everyone, we are gonna take it, punch me in the face, I'll take it. Or break my arm and take my money, and I'll take it too. <laughs> Taking it is what I do. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. I'm going to curl up in a bowl and cry. I am going to take it. I'm. Uh, once I said I'm not going to take it, but I was kidding. Here's my money. Once more. And then the quitter's like, taking it, I'm taking it, I'm a human, kick me fine. I don't mind, it's fine, I am gonna take it, come on, punch me, I'm taking it, I'll take it like a bitch in front of the entire class, alright, enough of that song. (laughs) wow to hit that's
5: reality
1: (laughs) yeah we're not gonna take it (laughs) Woo! (laughs) yeah anyway um i love going on go on um facebook i'm telling you i know people complain about facebook that it's not cool i don't know why one People go. Facebook isn't cool anymore. You got to go on TikTok. I go. Fuck you. They're all the same. No, no, no. Yeah, you TikTok's think different.
5: TikTok doesn't know what you want to look uh, uh, at?
1: Yeah, TikTok's different. <laughs> okay, sure, asshole. Uh, did you watch that movie? I don't know what it was on. Blood, blood red sky. Did you watch yeah, that? What's that? bunch of vampires end up on a plane did you see that no i have to watch that i love vampires yeah i i don't know that i want it's you know you should watch it this yeah this woman
5: vampire yeah
1: yeah this but you're gonna punch holes in it and stuff that's why i probably didn't recommend it to you but i watched it anyway because it's a vampire and the makeup's pretty cool but this woman's a vampire and uh but she has to get on a plane with her kid and like I don't know somehow she's controlling her vampirism, so she doesn't what is she bite doing her kid with a kid exactly, <laughs> but she loves the kid, and she's able to you know she's fuck she can kill she wants to kill everyone just because of the kid she's like a good vampire, but um meanwhile, there's a hijacking on the plane,
8: oh,
1: and they don't realize they've hijacked the plane with a vampire, and then um it's it gets out of control. it's pretty cool
5: red- blood red sky,
1: yeah. I I watched the
5: worst action movie. I said, I don't even think I could uh, recommend this to Howard. Tomorrow War? It was just, no, it's called The Serpent.
1: I haven't seen that.
5: And this woman, she supposedly works for the CIA, and then she gets set up, and you know, now she has to figure out how to get herself out of this mess, and she's like a super fighter and super shooter. And uh, then I I I realized, yeah, I was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this film. And then I realized all the sets were the same. They were just moving around this building because every window was exactly alike. And they're supposed yeah. to be in different countries and all this other thing. And then I, I looked at the credits because I said, this is so terrible. I have to look to see who made it. And the woman who was the star, she was also the writer, director and the producer.
1: I think I might have seen I never,
5: that. I'd never heard of her before, but I guess, you know, somebody put up money so she could make her own film. It was just awful.
1: My problem is I, don't, I, I wrote down a note to myself to talk about Tomorrow War. I don't even remember what the movie was. Like, I write it down. I think I'm going to remember. I don't remember oh, what it Oh, dear. You watched it? T- yeah, I can't tell you if it was good or bad because I don't remember <laughs> it. I mean, there's so many of these movies. I'm still watching... Um, What's that called? Titans. I'm watching Titans. Just oh, like I that. haven't
5: started the Titans yet.
1: It's good. It's good.
5: Anybody I watch went Tomorrow back to War? The Walking Dead.
1: Hey guys, anybody watch Tomorrow War? Do you, if you just fill me in with a one sentence detail, I can tell you whether it's good or not. Yes, I saw it. Isn't that the one where they? Oh, I know what it was. What was it again? Those guys go into a special zone where there's like these. They um, travel aliens. the future, yep. Yeah, and oh, I thought that was good. Did you like that? I loved it. I thought it was Me great. Me too. Yeah, I recommend okay, Tomorrow. Okay,
5: because I I now realize I keep seeing that and reading that little blurb about the future or something, and they got to go fight yeah. the war before it, good. it ruins everything, and I then <laughs> keep going. So it is good. I liked huh? it.
1: I liked it. Yes. What are you eating, good. J.D.?
5: Uh, peanuts.
6: Peanuts.
1: <laughs> you like peanuts? You know, you're going to start talking about Tomorrow War. I thought you were. I thought you said penis. I thought you said you were eating some <laughs> penis, and I was like, "He goes, peanut, penis." <laughs> oh, you're eating. Oh, you got a big wad of peanuts in there. How many peanuts do you a shove in there? <laughs> a
4: handful. Oh.
1: Right, you put the a whole one. handful in at once. <laughs> can I make a suggestion? And I'm not fucking around with you. I know. Only a. First up. of all, you got a big pouch of peanuts that you can barely swallow, and that's kind of. Well, gross. I'm trying
6: to talk too, and I don't want you know.
1: Yeah, but can I tell you something? <laughs> Don't choke yourself. Now he's drinking water trying to get his peanuts he's trying down. trying to
5: wash it down.
1: Trying to get his peanuts down.
5: <laughs> Stop.
1: Dude, you eat, you eat peanuts like an elephant. They, they jam in a bunch at once. But how do you enjoy that? You know what I do, honestly? I eat one <laughs> peanut at a time. Maybe, maybe, uh, like two or three at the most in there at once. And I enjoy it and it lasts longer. I I you like still got the, a wad in there. Look at that shit. It's like chewing tobacco.
5: It's now peanut butter in his mouth.
1: <laughs> Look at this. He can't even eat what he's got. He's has, I swear to you when the camera went on, he it looked like a chipmunk.
5: <laughs> it's <only> fucking <laughs> peanuts. It, his jaws were all puffy. I was like, is JD sick? <laughs>
1: no, is that a, I mean, yeah, th- dude, I don't know. is that a breakfast or a snack?
6: It's a breakfast. I just have a hand, you know, a couple handfuls of peanuts, and that's pretty much it.
1: All at once. That's bad. <laughs> He's been chewing for like 45 minutes. Look at it. He's I'm, still done. Got some- I'm done. Yeah. I'm right. done. Oh, my God. Well, Why don't you enjoy the peanuts?
6: Because I do. That's how I enjoy it. I put
1: you, in like other words, you like I that chew. big burst of, of like, like a paste in your mouth?
6: Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. Something
5: like that, I guess.
6: I don't know.
1: You like to build up a big wad <laughs> and chew on it for a while, I guess.
5: But really, it's like making his own peanut butter in his mouth. You know, you might yeah. as well eat a jar of peanut butter.
1: Yeah, do you ever go to, like, the supermarket and they have those peanut butter making machines? That's what I... JD is. JD, like, <laughs> jams a whole shitload of peanuts. How many peanuts do you do you put in at once? Like a fistful, right?
6: Yeah, I mean, I just pour some into my hand and, you know. Wow. I don't count.
1: But, but then, like, it's this wad and then it's got to be broken down into a paste. He's like the fly.
6: I, know, I should have just spit it out right before I went on.
1: Actually. I know. Dude. Well, you don't want to waste those peanuts. You have salted peanuts or are they the uh, raw?
6: They are lightly salted cocktail peanuts.
1: Mm, not good. That's got a lot of oil and salt.
6: I mean, it's heart healthy.
1: I do miss the office and watching him eat. I used to walk by <laughs> my he's he had the office right next to mine. And we haven't been there in like two years, but. His office had clear glass so I could view him eating. And sometimes I'd see, actually, you're doing better Better peanuts than what you used to eat. You used to have a big wad of potato chips in there. Remember you'd well, have I mean, potato chips lunch. for breakfast? That was for lunch. No, Bullshit. Well, sometimes you I'd, have for breakfast.
6: The, oh, yeah. I didn't really eat breakfast a whole lot. But, yes, sometimes I would get hungry and I would go to the vending machine to get a bag of chips.
1: And that was your breakfast? Yeah. So why'd you lie and say you had that for lunch? <laughs>
6: because, because I did have it for lunch sometimes.
1: I would stand like in front of JD's glass office and wa- watch him eat like he was in a cage. It was so fucking funny. Yep. I never saw him w- wad up those peanuts like that and form it into a paste.
5: Never saw peanuts.
6: Well, you I really only have peanuts for lunch, or not lunch, breakfast, and, you know, you're always, you know, in studio by then, so didn't didn't get to witness that
1: i don't know dude like i'm just thinking about you and that breakfast <laughs> and you know how you tend to get chubby it's like i'm i'm like that's not a good breakfast like just peanuts i'm i'm working with this nutritionist man she taught me a lot every meal i got is kate i every every um meal I got a. if I have nut I have nuts in my yogurt, but I have it with yogurt and then with blueberries. And it's very satisfying.
6: (laughs) All right, well that's you.
1: (laughs) And I and and I I just take a handful of nuts, but I put it in there. I don't eat every nut in one big wad. That would just be Well
5: then he can't enjoy it the way he likes it, Howard. He likes We all have different palates.
1: You wanna know something? (laughs) I don't think he's enjoying it because when he gets that big wad in there, after a couple of bites, (laughs) then it's just a big paste in his mouth. I don't even think he's tasting the peanuts anymore. Now he's got to deal with that paste that's just like...
5: (laughs) Yeah, how do you get rid of that?
1: Yeah. You should have seen the big wad in his cheeks. His whole cheek was puffed out. (laughs) Fucking awesome. (laughs) Even, like, you watch monkeys in a zoo. They eat a peanut at a time. This fucking guy, he... Got them all like like a squirrel. He got them all like bunched up, and he throws them in his mouth.
5: In JD's defense, the monkeys are getting the ones in the shell, so they have
1: to shell yeah. the peanut. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. you want to know what though? <laughs> you know what though? What you should get them in the shell, JD. Because at least you'd have to like slow down and do a little work before you.
6: Well, I don't like to work. I don't like food that I have to work at. I, don't, I want to get it. I, you know, I want to get at it.
1: You should turn yourself into a giant squirrel and like just eat eat the raw nuts in the shell. That would be healthier. Um. I do miss going into the city and seeing J.D. eat. Like, he used to eat on a tiny American Idol tray. I guess American Idol, when it first started, they were trying to get viewers, and they would send to radio stations, so we'd talk about it, like, different items. And th- I never yeah. saw this before. It was an American Idol tray, a TV yeah. dinner tray. I never J- witnessed that. You didn't witness it because you you would throw that right in the garbage. Like, <laughs> J.D. grabbed it and, and made it the, the focal point of the office.
6: Well, I didn't want to eat off my, you know, board with the uh, the little desk area I had with my console stuff console, uh, you know, so I put it, you know, over to the side, uh, you know, had something to eat off to the side. <laughs> my eyes lit up when I saw it. And I was like, oh, there we go. Hmm.
1: So, a decor. Like I can decorate.
4: <laughs>
6: it wasn't really decor. It was more a necessity, I guess.
1: Yeah, Robin, I can decorate my office. I got this American Idol tray. I'll make that the focal point of the office and then build around it. <laughs> I can, and I can stack my pornos on the floor around it. So it'll be like beautiful.
5: It's my inspiration.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I think this would look good with my whole, my porno boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many pornos did you have? there? you have them stacked up.
6: Well, there yep. were some. I had some on a shelf. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's with the special ones.
6: No, I mean it was just uh, like, you know, I, I I it was just in case I ever needed them for whatever reason. Oh yeah, uh, which you only
1: need pornos. <laughs> Dude, I can give you a million reasons I need them. <laughs> uh when you uh when you had the pornos, like did the ones on the shelf get special attention because the ones on the floor looked like they got they'd gathered some dust?
6: No, I mean there were there were just some extra ones I had laying around and I didn't have any room and I just, I felt, I, I was basically a hoarder of of things and I never, knew, porn. You know, I was like, I, I never know of, of one. And I was like, I, you know, in case I needed some, you know, uh, some random gay porn or, uh, you know, uh, I think one was, you know, cuckold stuff or whatever, you know, I'd have it on the shelf and i can go
1: get it. Meanwhile, um, Like I'd watch him eat and then I then you know, after I'd watch him eat for a while, I'd be staring at the points and go, this fucker's got a lot of gay porn. What's going on? (laughs) I didn't, you know, I didn't know he's claims it's for work. And then he got in cuckold porn. I think he's, I don't know what he's into, but it's a, it's a strange office. He's got an interesting office.
6: I did. I did. Like Sal and Richard have an interesting office,
1: but, but they're trying too hard. Like Richard starts with his Halloween decorations and you're like, you know what, dude, don't be such a douche. But JD, his office is genuinely interesting. It reflects the full JD persona, like the American Idol TV tray, the stacks of potato chips, then you you know <laughs> fish fillet, and then you and then you look on the floor there's gay porn and cuckold porn, and, and like it's it's like balanced uh, very delicately, one on top of in- of another. All the porns, yeah, that's are, you some know, books in there, too. I, yeah, books, porn books.
4: No, wow. the porn books.
1: What were those books?
6: It was just random books that we had, and I thought, uh, you know, that we'd get sent to us, and I thought maybe one day I'd read them or something, so I put them <laughs> on. <my phone>. Uh,
5: <laughs> you were going to have time to read these books at work?
6: Well, no, I'll take them <laughs> home or something. I
9: uh, ar- br- br- br-
1: that office, oh my that God. office, Robin. You, you weren't back there with me because your office. Well, was in I front. used
5: to go back there every once in a while. I didn't spend a lot of time watching yeah, it JD because it'd be in the morning, and I'd have to ask him to get something for me. Yeah.
1: No, you didn't I'd have time back. to study him like I did. No. I was like was Margaret business. Mead of uh, JD. <laughs> I was like an anthropologist. Now and also when Robin would come back to JD's area and start lecturing him, I kicked her out. Because she was making too much noise and I couldn't sleep back there in my office.
5: <laughs> Very rarely did that happen because the times I was really with JD were in the morning while you were yes. already in your meeting.
1: A couple of times though, you woke me up and I had to had to have a talk with you. you were <laughs> out of yeah, control. I, I, I had I'd to get when, I, out. <laughs> when I was the, out
6: when I was the sh- <laughs> I had to sh- her a few a couple of times. Yeah, so.
1: and I knew she wouldn't pay attention to you. <laughs> like, who is who, are you
7: shushing me Who's
1: yeah get the fuck away from me dude. <laughs> yeah i kind of miss like staring at you like even just now catching you with your peanuts like i, I miss that yeah i don't miss it <laughs> i mean jd's i used to say to robin jd's office it's like a wet market. It's like all kinds of germs and bacteria. Probably, there was probably Wuhan flu. You know, there, who knows what was in there? Probably <laughs> ground zero for ground COVID. Zero. Yeah. Stop it. so gross. Like, <laughs> did you ever wash that American Idol tray? I don't think so, dude. Be honest.
6: Uh I wiped it down a few times, but no, I didn't like actually yeah. wash it. <laughs> wiped it no, down with what? It, no, when I had enough crumbs on it, I'd take it over to my garbage can and, you know, hit it on the garbage can and knock the stuff off.
1: <laughs> <That's enough. laughs> remember when joe buck was on the show and i said hey would you mind going back and doing a play-by-play tell me what jd's eating
4: uh-huh. it was that, great
1: that, that annoyed the that. fuck out of you <laughs> <laughs> remember
6: yeah, yeah oh i remember all right <laughs> don't all right
9: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a beautiful day here at the Stern Show. This is hallowed ground to some of the greatest eaters in radio history. And now as we speak, the breakfast is making its way down here to J.D.'s office. 643 calories of beautiful breakfast sandwich for J.D. And there's the first bite. The first bite is being chewed, but he can't get it down his throat because he's just a little too excited. He's laughing. J.D. is now bent over. This will consist of the majority of his cardio for the day. All right, bite number two. He went for the corner. J.D., now he's going to get some water. Now I'm getting the finger. I've never gotten the finger from somebody that I'm calling play-by-play for. All right, back he is, turning to that rickety old American Idol track. now eggs flying out of his mouth as he coughs water's going down his throat his waist is at the 40 the 45 the 50 how big can this thing get unbelievable jd is choking down his breakfast third bite the third bite is in his mouth ladies and gentlemen this is unbelievable and jd is headed to the super bowl and by the super bowl i mean his toilet so for all of us here at the Howard Stern show, thanks for joining us. JD, Godspeed. Yeah,
1: you do a thing, that, you do another thing when you eat. You like, when you're chewing, you start grabbing water and drinking it to help you like break down the sandwich. And it's like, I never do that. I, well, you know
6: what I mean? that, Well, with both times, first of all, you, you drink with, with that? food in
1: your mouth. Like, with which that, is weird. W-
6: with that and w- what just happened now, I don't want to choke and I, you know, I start, you know, laughing or whatever and <laughs> it's happened where I'll laugh and then, uh, you know, it caught in my windpipe or whatever and I start choking. So, uh, I don't want to <laughs> choke. That's
1: basically it. Putting water in your mouth with the food is going to make you choke, dude.
5: Well, it,
6: whatever.
1: It's no, it down, there, you like know,
5: I'm trying. You b- you take too big a bite, JD. And yep. that's why if somebody starts talking to you, you now have to really do something.
1: JD JD eats like he's in a hot dog eating contest. You ever see those guys?
5: <laughs>
6: yes, because they gotta you know, put down like some hot dogs Yeah, they really can't get fast. the bun
1: down, so they break it down. They they take some <laughs> water with the hot dog. I mean no, they, you gotta yeah, they, you need you need to take smaller bites, dude. Seriously. All right. Okay. You're just putting too much in that 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 pouch of yours. Because when a I'm pouch. listening
5: even to Joe Buck's call, it's yep. like, you know, the moment you left, <laughs> eggs start spewing out because there's no more room in
1: your mouth. Because it takes these huge, if, if, if Joe Buck was watching me eat, I'd take small bites, you know.
6: Well, I wanted to get the bit over with as <laughs> possible, so I took <laughs> as big as bites as I could. All right.
1: Go get something to eat. I'll teach you on the air.
6: No, that's okay. I'm
1: fine. Because <laughs> off the air, I don't have time for you.
6: That's all right. Well, we can do. We can oh, zoom yeah. about it later.
1: <laughs> a breakfast. Uh, it's a breakfast carnage.
6: You can watch me eat lunch today.
1: How many handfuls of uh, peanuts do you eat for breakfast? Seriously, be honest.
6: Well, like a couple, two, you know, two or three.
1: Yeah, and it's a. Where big fistful. are
5: the peanuts right now, JD? They're they're they are right here.
1: <laughs> okay. Wouldn't you enjoy, like, when you take that fistful instead of jamming it in your mouth? do not you enjoy like taking a couple and then just like putting them in your mouth and chewing them delicately, like and, and savoring the flavor and then swallowing them? I don't know. Think about what I'm saying. I'm not doing it to bust your balls. <laughs> okay. I mean, I am, but
4: <laughs> Yeah, yeah all right. I
1: mean, there is some sense to what I'm saying.
5: There, there
6: always is, Howard. There's always.
1: Yeah. I always thought you'd enjoy your food more if you took a little bit smaller bite.
5: How long does that can last? This it might last a week or so. Mm, nice. I don't think so, Robin. Could... It does. I'm not. I agree. Get out of here.
1: I was thinking the same thing. Like if I had a can of peanuts in front of me, I'd have to eat the whole fucking can. <laughs> I'm
5: not eating the
6: whole can. <laughs> <I'm> fucking, <laughs> I don't eat anything else today.
1: What do you eat for lunch these days?
6: Uh, usually a sandwich and chips.
1: Why the chips?
6: I I I just I I like it.
1: Do you eat the chips? Like with the sandwich, in other words, like let's say, like, what's your favorite sandwich?
6: Uh, I don't you know, ham sandwich, roast beef sandwich, is that, okay. roast beef sandwich.
1: And when you say sandwich, it's what is it? Lettuce, tomato, bread, and uh, like a mustard and and roast beef.
6: Uh, it's a couple slices of uh, roast beef, a thing you cheese. Uh, you put some mayonnaise on there, and that's about it, pretty much.
1: What kind of bread? No vegetables. <laughs> yeah. What kind of bread?
6: Uh, like uh, it's either like sourdough or wheat bread. Mm. It's whatever. All right, there you
1: go. And One then, and then you what you have a what, what brand of chips do you eat?
6: It, uh, it well, it it varies, but it's usually you know it's like either a regular type of chip or sour cream and onion or you know whatever. sour
1: cream and onion, dude. That's a very yeah. spicy chip and. Extra no, calories. That's not but... spicy.
6: I I've had barbecue chips that are much spicier than I have not. No
1: had. barbecue chips are the most spicy, but even those sour cream chips. They've got a tang to them, you know what I mean? Make my tongue go on fire.
6: I I, I get you. Uh, sour cream with anything I can handle.
1: And what do you got? A little bag, like a little lunch size bag of uh chips?
6: No, you just pour some on a plate. It's it's like a regular bag, so you just gotta take some.
1: Oh, some you got some, a big like, bag and then you uh you parcel out a portion yes. of those chips.
6: Yes. yes.
1: And what do that you eat goes on a...
5: all around the sandwich on the plate? Right.
1: D- d- sure. <laughs> and do you have a? <laughs> is it a plated lunch? In other words, you take out like a, a china plate and eat on it. Yeah.
6: <laughs> yes. Do you
1: wash your own plate afterwards, or you just shove it in the sink and you well,
6: wipe? We it? have a dishwasher, but
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. You rinse off the crumbs and everything.
6: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so when you're eating your sandwich. You take a bite of the sandwich, probably a big, too big a bite, and then, like, in order to get the flavors combined, you shove a potato chip in there with the while you're chewing on the <laughs> no, sandwich, right? I
6: don't know how people. I don't know why people do that. No, I have the sandwich and then the chips.
1: Oh, you eat. Oh, you eat the whole sandwich and then the chips. Yes. You don't eat the chips with the sandwich.
6: Uh not usually. No.
1: That's fucked up. <laughs> that makes no sense. I want to combine yeah. those. You mean you? To me, so, there's, So after you eat your sandwich, do you ever say to yourself, maybe I'll skip the chips?
6: Uh, I mean, if they're there, no, but uh, I don't know. You
1: eat everything individually. Do you do that with, like, dinner? Like, you'll eat potatoes, and then I've seen guys do that. They eat the potatoes, and they'll eat, like, corn, and then they'll eat the, like, main thing.
6: For the most part, I'm not saying it's with every meal, but for the most part, yes, Mm. I like to have the main dish. Um, you know, I, usually if uh if it's some of dinner, you know, with like vegetables or something, like say kale or whatever, I will eat the kale first to get that over with, and then move, <laughs> you know on to like you know whatever else. Man. Yes, I. i
5: I'm
1: like that. Like a little kid.
4: <laughs>
5: yeah, I'm a little
1: kid. Uh, yeah, you are.
5: I thought Chipotle was one of your favorite places. It Don't is. they combine everything in like a bowl or a trough?
1: <laughs> yeah, but then then he's forced to eat it all together. It becomes one.
5: Well, that's no. You have the tacos, yeah.
6: or I usually get the soft tacos. I'll get the ta- I'll eat the, all the tacos, and then I'll move on to the chips.
5: Hmm. Oh, there's chips there too.
1: Yeah. So the, <laughs> chips everywhere. <It's> a guac. <laughs> Do you? So for you, in, in in terms of the lunch, you look at it like the sandwich is the main thing, and then chips are the dessert.
6: Not dessert, just the side, and yeah, you know
1: the main right. is the
6: main and side to the side,
1: mm. <laughs> and the side is not meant to be eaten with the main in your in your opinion,
6: okay,
5: for the most part, yes,
1: man, I like to I eat my chips simultaneously with that sandwich, It was me.
5: why is everything for the most part with
1: j d well, well, because sometimes, good,
6: uh, yeah, sometimes you get I get crazy and I'll have a chip with the, the sandwich or something, you know no that's what that's, do that's you do how, JD? that's how I get excitement. <laughs>
1: Like you'll be chewing on your sandwich and then maybe throw a chip into that, into that mouth of yours and like maybe (laughs) Maybe. another burst of flavor. (laughs) Yeah. All right.
6: But uh, for the most part, I see each thing individual. All
1: right. Yeah.
5: But he started every li- sentence with, for the most part, for the most part, for the most. That's part, his new thing. For the most that's part, for thing.
6: The most part. It's not a new thing. It's just, <laughs> you know. I like, the, I like the. I like <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounds like he's living his best life, though. I'll, do, I'll tell you that. A <laughs> <That laughs> big All pouch right. of food. When's the last time you had a physical?
6: A physical? Oh, I went to the doctor I don't know, a couple months ago.
1: Did you? And what was your yeah. b- cholesterol and your blood pressure? Li- you know, like.
6: Oh well, it, it's it's. <laughs> my blood pressure is like it was elevated. i take blood pressure medicine but
1: you do uh, yeah it's always I, I mean, with your diet i would imagine so
6: uh but yeah whenever every even with that whenever i'm at the doctor because i get so like anxious and stressed out it's always like <laughs> higher than it should be
1: you have the, uh, white coat syndrome you see the white coat yeah, I got, yeah. yeah
6: so but it's i mean everything's normal
1: do they have you or, taking uh, blood pressure at home, like with one of those little blood pressure machines?
6: Uh, they did whenever I first like, got put on the, the medicine, but not. not. So. What
1: is your blood pressure? Do you know?
6: Oh, I don't know offhand, no.
1: <laughs> really?
6: I haven't done it in a while. How old are you? And even, even when I do do that, when I did that, that would freak me out. Like, I, it would elevate <laughs> from that, too.
4: But Everything freaks old you old
6: out. how old are you? Yes.
5: Huh? How old are you? Uh, 41. <laughs> <laughs> and it never occurs to you, I don't want to be taking pills at 41.
6: Oh, sure. But, you know, I also want
1: to. He wants to have fun. He likes his <laughs> lifestyle. Are you still drinking every night?
6: Not every night, no.
1: Come on. But... How many nights a week?
6: It's not every night. It's definitely probably like Friday, Saturday I like to.
1: Uh, you're not drinking you're at not all during you having week?
5: an evening cocktail?
6: Woo! Not, <laughs> not normally. No, but have I? Mm. Yes. Not Woo. lately. <laughs> I
1: didn't. Drink for the most minute. part. For the most part, Robin. <laughs> exactly. I
6: was at first. Day. Yeah, I was drinking every goddamn night.
1: <laughs> you must feel pretty damn good that I'm so interested in you. I mean, no, uh, I I'm taking you under my all. wing. It's good. I'm helping you. Oh, uh, taking you under my wing.
5: But you know, he could probably control his blood pressure by changing his diet.
1: Well, then there's no chips. Or special <laughs> sandwich with mayonnaise, or peanuts, and big wad of peanuts.
5: <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> JD, uh, by the way, I, sh- I do know some stuff about him. I know while we're you know we're in, you know sort of not working in the office, he's he's been very busy collecting sports cards. You know those baseball <laughs> and what those is it? Football, card baseball that
5: he calls them.
6: Football, baseball, basketball. I haven't done yeah, that any breaks over- lately.
1: He has over two thousand cards. And, he won't uh,
5: stop. Is that like a thing? You've got to have these cards.
6: Uh it's it's a hobby that I'm into at the moment. So
1: yeah.
5: <laughs> hobby. <laughs> what are you doing? You're just opening cards. No. He
1: he now logs his cards in a database. So he has a yeah. whole system. <laughs> no, I'm not boasting you.
6: No, right? John Hyde turned me onto a database and uh. Oh,
4: that's, my that's God. How I've been.
1: So, you can pull up any card at any time,
6: uh I may pull up what I have, or of a player that you know uh if I want to <laughs> look up a certain player and see what cards I have of theirs, uh I can do that
1: right, so oh, like
5: goodness, what a terrible hobby well listen
1: j d <laughs> bought a uh Tiger Woods rookie card for seventy bucks. Gee, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: and where does that go now into the database? I don't the
1: in, <laughs> And where's the, the actual database? physical card? Where is that?
6: Uh, it's in this little safe I have back
5: here.
1: Oh, safe!
5: <laughs>
4: well, it's the cabinet. Well, it's a little won't, cabinet.
5: Won't the thieves be upset when they crack open that safe?
1: Yeah. Hey, you know, we were in there doing some air conditioning repair. We saw this guy, this uh, guy from the Stern Show. There's a little safe in there. I got a feeling we could crack that. You know, we can break in there, and they break in, and then they. They rip open the safe. They, they they force JD at gunpoint to open the safe with the coward, and JD oh okay, and he opens it up and there's a bunch of fucking Tiger Woods cards.
6: <laughs> Listen, that's worth money, or
1: you know, people want that. Sure. Card. Absolutely,
5: yeah, yeah. They want these thieves want to take some time yeah. to fence cards.
1: <laughs> what else is in the safe? Anything else?
6: Uh, it's a bunch of cards. Has some, some comic books.
1: Uh,
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: oh, they're getting angrier now.
1: <laughs> anything of actual value?
5: <laughs> to me,
6: yes. Yeah. But, you know,
1: like that they're locked not up. not to you. John Hine was telling me he's not even impressed by JD's card collection. He, said, <laughs> oh, he, he no. gave it a four. He gave it a four out of ten. He goes, it's not even good. Oh, like, he please. doesn't even he have, doesn't have good cards. He
6: doesn't know anything. <laughs> he doesn't know anything.
1: JD's safe is like, like if you gave a nine-year-old a safe... Like, that's what it would look like. You know, like when I was nine years old, I would have put my comic books and my, you know, my cards in there.
5: I hope it's a baby safe, just like you would have at that age.
1: That's pretty
6: much what it is and what I got.
1: <laughs> Do you realize the safe is worth more than what's inside the safe? Like, I, if I was a criminal, I'd steal the safe and just leave the contents. Um, hey, John, how bad is, J- J- like, JD's putting all this effort into a, a collection that's a four out of ten.
7: He is speaking he so die. out of school. He doesn't know right, anything. Right. J D gets very defensive Woo. about this. Like he's the authority when it comes to uh, I'm I, not
6: an authority. I just know what I have. All right. JD All right. has
7: almost okay, he's logged almost six thousand cards in the database <gasps> at this point. Wow. And he's he's got thirty one <laughs> Tiger Woods cards. Okay. Well,
6: yeah, I got a set I found a set of cards. So that's
7: Those cards. 20, that's thirty of them. <laughs> But JD looks at this as an investment. He believes yeah. that over time, it will grow in value. He'll <laughs> be able to cash in on it. No. I have the cards Stupid. in the database. These are cards I, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I just wanted right. to see what I had and log them more for that reason.
6: John, stop getting into my head. I know what, there are some sure that might be an investment. But that's not why I'm doing it for the most
1: part. But what are you doing it for? I mean, I like it. it makes me happy.
6: I like seeing some of them
5: and,
1: you know. You, what like do you, you, you do? You take them
5: out, yeah.
1: Yeah, do you open the safe and then, like, look at them?
7: <laughs> Sometimes.
1: <laughs> some of them are
7: on display right behind JD. Yeah, JD, I have JD.
6: all of these Joe Burrow cards since it's football season. I put Joe Burrow and Bengals cards back there.
1: And what oh. you do you do? You, and you put them in a little frame?
6: Uh, well, no, some have been graded already so by grading company. So they they, they put them in there. But, but Howard,
7: he takes this attitude. Like I show him like an old card I have and he's like, Oh, the corners are bent and it's (laughs) like this. It's not worth anything. He he just takes this elitist attitude towards
1: cards. Oh, that's
6: just with you, John. I'm trying to help you out too. I'm trying to be be a friend.
1: In my mind, there's a guy who owns a card company. He could print out a million of these cards. He's controlling them. The guy who owns the card company is controlling the market. If he wants to have 50,000 Tiger Woods, cards he can just print them out i mean you go to the that, printer and print them out
6: that well some not anymore but no that's what the what? big thing is now that, that's what the big thing is now uh with cards is they're doing them there's some are being given serial numbers so <laughs> they only you know there's only so many made out of 50 you know yeah. uh fi- you know yeah. 50 of a certain card was made
1: what's the best card you have oh i don't uh, i mean the
6: tiger woods one is pretty good how
5: much has it appreciated since you
7: bought it? Well, listen, it,
1: <laughs> I guarantee I you pres- can't even get 70 bucks for it.
7: <laughs> well, I could I could. Robin, possibly. These are, are long term investments.
1: OK, right. it's going to take. Can I make a suggestion? Sure. I'm like an yeah. idiot, but why not invest in stocks that like companies that have that grow in value? And uh, we've had this discussion before. I I'm just, I just I am not into the stock
6: market. I you know you're in the cards.
1: Yes. Why not invest <laughs> in a
6: house? instead? Well, of putting... I am doing that. <laughs> You're going to sell your too. cards? No, I mean, I'm hoping not to, but if I have to, sure.
1: If you were in the market for the last couple of years, it's been remarkable. If you had okay. just taken all that money, how much money do you think you've spent on cards? If you got 6,000 cards.
6: Oh, overall. Well, hold on. Some overall. I got, you know, overall. Some I got when I was a kid.
1: Okay. Um, but how much money do you think you got in cards? Thousands. Yeah, Thousands.
6: you know, a few thousand, sure.
1: You think it's ten thousand bucks?
7: No, I don't think it's quite that much.
1: John, what has he got?
7: Over time, yeah, I think he spent at least ten thousand oh, dollars. Yeah, over course. time, sure. But now, <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's, girl, that's what we're talking no. about.
5: What you spent on the cards? <laughs>
1: I do, listen. Recently, you know what he could do? He could he could take the cards and glue them together into the shape of a house, and then live in the cards.
5: Well, I like that he's decorating seasonally <laughs> with the cards. So the <laughs> Thank football you, Robin. cards come out yes. at football time, <laughs> yeah. and the baseball comes out, Baseball cards come out during baseball season.
1: Thank you. So what are you oh, going to do? I, I, I get updates. Are you going to... Are you <laughs> going to... Um. Oh, go ahead, <laughs> John. What?
7: No, i was sorry, Howard. I was saying, I get updates when J.D. changes the scenery, he's like... Did you notice the, uh, Joe Burrow cards I put up in the background? No, I didn't notice the Joe Burrow cards, but it truly makes him happy. You can see the smile. It brings him such joy to have this hobby. And even though I'm with you, Howard, I tell him like financially, this isn't going to do it for you. If you're I'm not it doing it financially. Cards, that's great. But if you think you're going to make like this big killing on your 28 Ken Griffey Jr. cards or whatever other you know, crappy Cincinnati ready you got, oh, it's just not going to work.
1: <laughs> i don't know man i don't like what's going on over there i need to get a hold of this kid again
6: <laughs> everything's
1: fine. i mean he was doing a lot better when we worked at the office and, and you I could, could like, watch
5: him yeah well i could mentor
1: <laughs> him yes rob it's not yeah. called watching it's called mentoring. <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> yeah i took him under my wing
6: stopping uh, on his way to his nap and mentoring me
1: well yeah I took time out of my busy day to you, you did. correct I you. Did. To, to <laughs> I still guide don't you.
5: understand exactly how the hobby works. So you take these cards out? Would you rub them?
4: Over? Oh, stop I mean, that! I rub I rub don't, I don't, them.
5: I, I need rub to them. know. He gets
10: like
6: nude usually, and he rubbed it's, against them. Uh, it, listen. I'll say something very, possibly very douchey or whatever. Uh, <laughs> they are little. Some are pieces of art in a way uh, to me at least. So you know.
7: That's the elitist now,
6: attitude On am uh, Shut up, John. Right there on full display. <laughs>
1: shut so up. You, you, you can't touch the cards, right, or they lose value. Is that correct? Like you have to keep uh, it 15.
6: Some, yes. Yes. Yeah, some, you know, you have
1: to be very So when careful. they're in your safe, are they in a special holding case, like um, so that they don't get damaged? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. And when the time comes that you want to change, you know, seasons or you want to get some <laughs> new pictures up there, you go into your database, You you kind of review what you have, then you what you have to f- pull out the 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 guys you want to display on your bookshelf over there. Yes. Right. And then and then I guess you got to then refile the ones you've had out that are now going back in the safe.
6: Yeah, I do need to have a better, uh, you know, system of uh, of, of filing, <laughs> filing them <laughs> physically. Right. But, uh, I'm hoping to do that, you know, in the next few months.
7: Right. There are plastic sleeves or books or other things you can get to preserve the the card. Like there's some, like more JD's more valuable cards he's got behind this, you know, high-end plastic and it's wrapped up and to make sure that, you know, nothing happens to the corners or it gets greased or anything like that.
1: When you get like, seriously, when you get like oil from your chips or your nuts and things <laughs> on your hands, do you wash before you handle the cards? Yes. Yeah. And are
6: you? If I if I'm open, if I'm opening packs, uh, I will wash my hands. Yes,
5: right. Okay. Are you after something? You know, cause those <laughs> like a lot of people they they have yeah. a desire for somebody's rookie card or they're completing a collection. Are you doing that too?
4: Yeah. Uh,
6: yeah. There, th- th- yes. There have been certain cards, like a Tiger Woods rookie card. I I wanted. Uh-huh. Um. So, yeah. yeah, there are some that I want that are just way too out of my price range right now. Nice. But, uh, you know, there's always, mm. always a goal. Sure.
1: All right. Yeah, you got to have something to look forward to. All right. I, enough of JD. I mean, I don't mean to. That was fascinating, get... though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Thanks for the look into your private life. <laughs> Thanks. John, keep tabs on him. I <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah he now.
6: is. Trust always, me. Yeah. Always,
7: Howard. All
1: right. Thank you. Oh. Oh, here's JD's database. He has five thousand seven hundred six cards with an estimated value of four thousand dollars. So, okay,
5: that's less than a dollar a card.
1: Yeah, I know.
6: <laughs> well, also in the database, some uh, I don't know how this database does prices. Some some cards are worth too much, and some aren't even like I have a a, a Vladimir Guerrero Junior. Uh, autograph card. That's there's no price for it in the thing.
1: So I know what's that's this? Worth. You have twelve non sports cards. What are those?
6: Oh, I got like, uh, I got cards sent to me from tops, uh, the Mandalorian cards that Hmm. I'm not, you know, not that into, but
1: cool. Yeah. You might as well catalog them. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Where's the, where is that safe in that? Well, okay. I want to see it. Where is it? Right, right there. Let me see. I can't see it.
6: Black thing right there.
1: Oh, oh,
5: it's pretty big.
6: I mean,
1: yeah, so. that's quite a case.
7: <laughs> I was I hope that... of something very small. Yeah. JD also right. has Beavis and Butthead cards, just so you know.
6: It's yeah, I got expensive. those from someone, uh, someone else. I got those. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I don't know really a lot about investing, but I do know you could call up a bank right now, to invest that $4,000, like in the S&P 500 and probably make a thousand bucks by the t- by this time next year. You know, the way the market's going.
4: You know.
5: Not JD. No. <laughs> He's got cards he wants to get.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Even- Hold on a second.
0: Oh, hey, Dan Rather again. What's on your mind? Well, Howard, I'm reporting live from JD's office at the Howard Stern compound. And I have some exclusive information. The floor is covered with old peanut jars, children's baseball cards, and some odd pornography. It's as if a very strange 13-year-old boy once resided here.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hear you, Dan Rather. It's a weird, weird
0: conglomeration of items in that office. There's leftover potato chips, and I see some of the leftover films here as well. Just looking at the titles here. Marine Bondage, Two Boys, hmm. One Anus, Whoa. Gapes Ahoy, An Officer <laughs> and An ale, Anal Man, hmm. 21 Hung Street, Captain AmeriCock, Tiger's Hood, Fill My Holes, Five, Six, and Seven. Wow. wow. You know, Thank I was you. a foreign correspondent for CBS in London and Vietnam and never... Have I seen anything this dreadful? <laughs> Avengers. I remember when, Rear End Game.
1: I remember when you uh, reported from Afghanistan, like you were in full, like uh, a full Taliban outfit in the in the, in the mountains. You you risked Was your he life,
5: wrapped in, and his head covered and all that. Yeah, stuff?
0: Wow. yeah, I remember. Yes. He looked like Lawrence yes. of Arabia. It it brings <laughs> back many memories here. I see Gay Spider Man shaving mm. Ryan's privates. Game of Bones. Balls everywhere. <laughs> Come fuck me eight and twelve. There seems wow. to be some missing films. He has quite the collection here. Dawson's Crack. You know this is a uh, this is a large large collection here, Howard. I hear
1: you. All right. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the report. I always love having our own roving a newsman.
4: Here you go. Bye.
5: I wonder if JD's now into NFTs, because that's the new thing. His cards are obsolete. No. (laughs) No
6: is the answer. No.
5: (laughs) But are you going to get into them? Because nobody's going to want cards anymore in the future.
6: No, I think everyone will want the physical thing. The NFTs I can't get into because there's no physical thing
1: uh, it, it, just yeah, you just own wouldn't
5: the right to for them <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah all right good all right enough let's leave jd i all. just it's wondered enough.
5: because that's where collecting of sports memorabilia is going it's going the way of the nft and that's he's right. not in that stream yeah
1: of course not hey ralph <laughs> hey,
8: hey, now. hey first of all you are so right if jd put Three forget three thousand, but a thousand dollars in the market in twenty twenty, he he would easily have like five grand from that. You 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 couldn't miss last year. I mean, even this year you you could do well. But he's yeah. crazy with these cards. And uh, secondly, uh, JD, I got a Dr. Fauci card. Do you want to buy? It? <laughs> I think
1: you've tried, um,
6: you tried to pawn that on me before. No, <laughs>
1: I think JD invested. I think JD invested in cryptocurrency too. I'm, I'm not.
8: Yeah, like the worst thing you could invest in. I mean, it's like you don't even know what it is.
9: Yeah.
6: I mean, I'm, I'm up a grand in that, so. What'd yeah. you put in it? <clears throat> I put in little bits at a time each month, and I'm up about a grand.
8: Dude, it's the most volatile thing on the market. It's so the worst you should invest in.
5: No, no, there are stocks that are not as volatile as cryptocurrency.
1: Right. Did, you, um, yeah, did you max out on your 401k every year that you're? doing stuff. So, I, I, I
6: found that out. Yes.
1: Okay. I actually paid right. more
6: Thank. than I paid more than the max.
1: All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Thank Ralph. You. Thanks, uh, JD. I was going to talk about um, OJ, the Long Island Medium, but maybe I better take a break because I think Dave Grohlby I didn't know we'd spend so Ooh. long on JD.
5: JD is fascinating. It's like falling down a well. <laughs> There's so much yeah. to mine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we did a a psychological evaluation on jd and jd wants to put it on the air i i'm i'm the one holding it back i don't even know really yeah i don't know that he wants it out there i'm trying to think for him you know i am a bit of a mentor to him he looks up to me and Mm, um, i'm trying to think for him yeah you know (laughs) i mean it's fascinating if i played it for you your head would fall off but uh, you know i don't know i'll i need to talk to him privately well, I'll get a hold. Yeah, of
5: he may not know that he doesn't want this. Yeah, but it explains
1: a lot of it. Explains a lot of JD. Wow, yeah. this
5: was like a professionally, yeah,
1: yeah, done. We basically
5: evaluation.
1: We basically saved his life. Let's put it that way. According to wow. the evaluation, yeah.
6: <laughs> you did. <laughs> I'm not denying that.
1: You and know, every amazing. business. Every business has one case that they they take in somebody, and you know, might not <laughs> be the is ideal ours. guy. <laughs> put put ours. it that way, Now, thinks. Now, JD's a good worker. I, like, I mean,
6: I like to think I overcame certain things. Yeah,
1: no, you're definitely killing it. I can't. I have no complaints as your boss. I think you do your job very well. So,
5: but we should overlook that he's into baseball cards and. <laughs>
1: He can't help it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He can't help what he's up to. That'd be very true. Yeah. Let's put it this way. JD be one of those guys who would fall through the cracks and society would have to. (laughs) That
5: safety net would not catch him.
1: No. He'd still be falling. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't be falling. He'd just be rocking back and forth in a room somewhere.
4: Mm.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Let's put it this way. At Walmart, JD would be called a greeter, okay?
6: No, <laughs> oh, I don't. Even, no, I don't even know that. <laughs> I think that job might be a little too stressful. Yep.
1: <laughs> what do you want, Ralph? I, I got to take a break. What's up?
8: All right, all right, well, speaking of money, real quick. Th- I, I think John Hine uh, needs to pay off that Jeopardy bet because even though they he, <laughs> he quit, they they named a host for Jeopardy, and it wasn't Ken Jennings. So they named like five hosts, and none of them were Ken Jennings. So. I think
1: I know he, John doesn't well, I bet. forget what John's been I've...
5: very quiet about that
1: oh yeah did John. Kind of... John's linked out of that bed
5: All right, <laughs> right,
7: hold on a
1: minute here
4: okay.
5: you, you actually should double pay because he
8: did they, they named so many hosts and none of them were, were Ken
7: Ralph right now Ken Jennings is the host of Jeopardy along with interim. So, hey, Mike Richards, Mike Richards defined interim. Actually, he didn't even last a week. <laughs> Mike but Richards,
1: am, but but Mike Richards was named the permanent host with Mayim Bailik, uh, he, he Yeah,
7: He did name himself the permanent host, if you want to know. No, no he did. Was, they
5: did. They,
1: put they out did. They, he is they. <laughs> well, he, he was but the executive producer. it was
5: producer. a press release. Everybody was going along with it.
1: Mike Richards. <laughs> Let me explain something. Mike Richards doesn't own Jeopardy. The guys who decide who's going to be the host isn't Mike Richards. He has a say in it. But okay. he was named the permanent host, and so was Mayim Bailik, or Bialik. Or Bialik, or Bialy, or well, whatever the fuck was her was just going to
5: do, like, evenings, weekends, whatever else he couldn't do it.
1: Right. So, I won the bet, but, you know, it's okay. You don't have to pay it anyway. No, no, no. no, no. So well, you
5: I'm, have to pay uh, me. You have to pay me, and
8: you have to pay me double, because he lost twice, Ken oh.
1: Jennings.
8: $200, <laughs> John. Pay up. Uh-
7: Howard, I will, I will. Gladly pay you the money that we bet, where I said Ken Jennings would be the new host, and it turned out, even though he is going to be the new permanent host eventually, <laughs> it turned out that Mike now, Richards ended up getting. Let's the
1: give, money. The, give it to
7: charity. What, what did you bet he me? I don't never even gonna know. going to be
5: the permanent host.
7: No, I bet you a hundred bucks, and I will. Next time we see each other, I
1: will. Have no, 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 no.
7: Just see
1: each other. I'm not going to see you in ten years.
7: That was going to exactly. say. He'll exactly, say he'll which never is see why you
1: next again. time I see you, <laughs> 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 you're going to see me. See, I haven't left my house. <laughs> I Wife's convinced that my wife's convinced we're never. I'm never gonna leave, and she might be right. <laughs> um, hey, someone told me you're learning how to play the bass, huh? That is true. I am taking bass guitar lessons. Yes. Maybe I'll jam with you. We can. You might jam. be my speed. I, I suck.
7: I, I'm I'm worse than you. I can guarantee
1: you. you that. Can you play "Hang On Sloopy"? I probably could. I probably yeah. could. That's uh, my uh, jam. Hang on Sloopy, <laughs> Louie Louie. Those are the two I do. You want to jam on me? I don't
8: me. care. I want my hundred dollars, John. I don't care if you that play is. the bass.
7: Ralph, you have been on this for—I mean, Ralph's been texting me, posting about how he knew who the right Jeopardy host was going to be. Such a gracious winner, Ralph. But uh, if I bet you, well, this well,
8: Me, what are you I, waiting hey.
7: for? Look, next time I see you, if you're wearing a mask, because I heard sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And uh,
8: Venmo, you can PayPal me, pay me, or Venmo me, or send me a check. I mean, this
7: isn't the Venmo. Dark ages. <laughs> Ralph, what do I owe you? Two hundred dollars? You're saying?
1: He says a hundred. You didn't lose twice. i he... I'll settle for a hundred, but it really <laughs> should be two hundred because were...
7: this is like a this is like a credit card debt. If I call the place, maybe they'll cut down the amount that I actually owe. <laughs>
1: Well, you don't have to pay me, so pay him.
7: No, no, I will. I honor my debt. I, I pay like a Lannister. I'll pay my debts. So, Robin, yeah. I think I might have bet you too. So, I probably. I think
5: I, I forgot what we bet, but I
1: thought I was in there too. Betting us is good. We forget the bets. Ralph just he holds on to every penny. <laughs>
7: I, yeah,
4: Ralph's living. I got, I got it paid.
5: on the
7: calendar. All right, I don't
1: care. All right, pay. We'll pay go Ralph. through the
7: logs, and whoever I owe, I will pay. So all right, there you thank go. thank you, John. Sorry, you horrible lost. decision with Mike Richards, as we all know now.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Let's um let me take a break here so I can get to a few things before Dave Grohl comes on. Um First of all, I want to thank Trojan. You guys were with me last night when I uh satisfied my wife.
5: Oh, Trojan was. I said what what guys were with you? Uh, Trojan, Trojan. The Trojan Company. <laughs>
1: Wanna clarify. Trojan, feel your best, get your... get. Oh, their slogan is this. Here you go. You ready? Yes. Feel your best, get yours on. Oh, Trojan condoms. <laughs>
4: huh?
1: Huh? <laughs> huh? That's, a, that's part of their slogan. Huh? What? <laughs> what do you say? Get
4: that feel poison you be- out
1: of your system. <laughs> Feel your best. Get the poison out of your system. Get your get that
3: poison out of your system.
1: <laughs> Trojan condoms. And I'm not hired for voiceover. Ridiculous. Thank you, Trojan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Pretty sure I would have contracted some disease with some of the, let's say, questionable women I've been with. Oh, uh, let's
5: well. not cast aspersions.
1: Well, let's just say my early days, maybe I didn't have such a great selection what I could get. Maybe some people had not bathed in a while. But thank you, Trojan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Thank 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 you ah ah yes thank you thank you my mistress thank you my mistress <laughs> again my mistress thank you my mistress thank you my mistress that's the again, part i like mistress. she's
1: thank you. smacking his balls
3: thank you.
1: Oh. <laughs> all right we'll be uh oh hey amanda hey, you're now. on the air in california and then and then i don't know
10: good morning how are you yeah
1: hey what's up
10: hey Uh, Not much. I just have a question for you um, on the subject of condoms. Um, I'm 34, and usually when I go on dates, guys are like the first one to bring out the condom, or they usually have one on them, and I'm about to go on a date. And I'm just wondering if you think it's uh, slutty in a sense for a girl to be the first one to bring out the condom. And have a
1: supply with her. Well, first of all,
10: it's up to the man.
1: Sounds like you like to fuck on the first date a lot. So uh,
10: <laughs>
1: you know that's Not cool. A but, lot,
10: uh, but uh, <laughs>
5: yeah. is it you're for, for the most time. part? <laughs>
1: but I think <laughs> I number like one, carrying a condom when you know you like to have fun is a smart idea. I think you're you're bright and you're saying, hey. I know I like to fuck on the first date, and sometimes these guys don't have a rubber, and then I could get tempted and maybe let them slip in without anything, and then I'm looking for trouble. So, yeah, but I think it's a good had thing. had
10: one, but I feel like it's, you know, not a bad idea to just start to come with my own supply. Yeah, so. if you
1: want my, if you want, this might sound um, a little old-fashioned, but you should always say to the guy, do you have a condom? And then if he says yes, then don't bring up the fact that you carry a stash of condoms with you. You know what I mean? Because.
10: Yes, absolutely. I'm on the yeah. same page as you, for sure. But cool. if he says, I well, don't well, have a condom,
1: and if he says, I don't have a condom, say, okay, uh, I have one.
5: We're in luck. I just cool. happen
10: to have. Yeah, we're in luck. <laughs> I happen to be prepared thanks to Helen one. Started. One fell into okay. my purse the
4: other day. <laughs> <laughs>
10: Look at this magical device. Cool. Let me ask you
1: something, and, Amanda. Uh, so as a girl who likes to have fun, what is the quickest amount of time you've banged a guy on the first date? Like, how much time goes by? Like, you meet... Have you ever, like, banged a guy 20 minutes after you met him?
10: Um, maybe not that soon. Um, probably, I've definitely hooked up with a few people within the same day, too. That's probably a little worse than sooner um you know sometimes i'll I'll meet a guy or it's more people that i know and then you know when i meet up with them i kind of get straight to it don't waste so you're saying
1: you've banged (laughs) multiple guys in the same day
10: that is correct
1: wow you're very very um you have a very very strong libido
10: well i'm just listening to
5: how how difficult it is for her to admit what she's up to. It's okay.
1: It's kind of not, but we'll go with oh, that. Robin. You're right. Yeah. yeah. There's no shame here.
4: <laughs> uh, yeah. I've
1: so like you've met a guy,
10: so.
1: you've met a guy and like an hour later, you banged him.
4: Hey boner.
10: Um, Yeah, or I've known them a little bit and then I'll meet up with them. And then, but usually if I've known them and I go to meet up with them, I just, you know, kind of, you know, get naked, have some lingerie on and get Mm. to it. Got no time to waste. I'm a busy woman.
1: You sound like you're hot.
10: (laughs) Thank you. Very flattering, Howard. Are you hot? It's been one of my life goals to talk to you, but I do have a lot of life goals, like going to antarctica as well
1: so <laughs> a lot easier to get a hold of me than going to antarctica i'll tell you that
10: <laughs> exactly i think they have, so think they
1: have bear up there
10: One of my life goals today.
1: <laughs> well, how hot I've are you five
10: continents so my goal is to go to all five continents or all seven continents um well, what
1: what celebrity do you look like
10: i've been told i look like jennifer aniston
1: well that's a good look hey now hey your body, your body is as good as hers.
10: Uh, I work out and I'm working, you know, hmm. always trying to tone it down. I'm about to install a stripper pole in my living room. Um, oh,
4: Jesus, so,
10: yeah, you better carry a case of condoms with hot. you. <laughs> yeah, she's hot. <laughs>
1: stripper pole, lingerie, condoms, banging dudes.
10: Yeah, it's, how come kind uh, of a funny contrast? Because I also uh, uh, do metal work as well like uh you know nice. fabrication and stuff like that so
1: yeah ah, you're like an artist like, type. You guys... you're very free very free with your body that's
10: and... mores. <laughs>
1: that's mores. that's right that's
7: amores
10: yeah. but you know on i was listening to uh your 101 the other day and uh ronnie made a statement and he was saying that you can't get a girl off by fingering her, and I completely disagree because if you finger a girl, stimulate her clit, and maybe put, like, a finger in her ass or something, I mean, you can score multiple times by fingering a girl properly. So, you know, correction on Ronnie's statement. So, I know the, it the finger
9: there. you know, with the finger things? You never, uh,
1: I mean... I don't think I've ever fingered a girl properly. I Most women tell me, just, you know, just fuck me already. Stop fiddling <laughs> around down there. So I'm pretty sure I don't know what I'm doing. Plus, you got to really trim your nails nicely.
10: Well, you uh, don't want to be scratching. Yes. yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. If a guy has bad nails, I definitely don't want him doing that.
1: But Yeah. I think you know. I've, um I think I have bad nails because I think I've scratched <laughs> a few people.
4: <laughs> I'm not real
1: good at it. I've, I've rubbed that whole general area and hope I hit, you know, pay dirt. But uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just like kind of rub around and hope well, I. Just I hope do I do
10: it until she squirts.
1: Yeah, nobody no. ever squirted on me. And I'll tell you, you that I'm, I'm pretty dry over here.
10: Oh, I have soaked uh, a stripper in my cum.
1: What? Do you fuck around with girls?
10: Uh, I said I soaked a stripper in my cum. I uh, went to a strip club with my ex-boyfriend on my birthday one year and. Uh, she got me off, and he got me off, and I just, like, goused her when I come in. I was like, it's my birthday, and she's like, I feel like it's my birthday, too. And I'm like, go with that, baby. Yeah, just go with that. <laughs> yeah, you can go to a strip club, but the
1: sometimes uh, the strippers, you know, they won't fuck around with dudes, but they will fuck around with girls. Uh, they yeah, like we got that.
10: a private room. Yeah, we had a good time. Got her. What'd she do? So.
1: She rubbed your, she rubbed your uh, vagina?
10: Yeah, she rubbed me. She went down on me. So wow. Yeah, I rubbed her. Yeah, had a good time. Nice. Yeah. And you squirted
1: all over yeah. her face?
10: All over her face, all over her. There was a puddle on, uh, when we were done. So <laughs>
1: Jeez, a real woman, I'll tell you that. That's my kind of gal. <laughs>
10: Thank you, Howard.
1: Oh, look at this. Big <laughs> oh, you're my kind
10: that. of man. I'm a big fan of yours, so... <laughs>
1: Are you, a, guys, a are you into guys? Are you into guys who collect baseball cards or football cards?
10: <laughs> you know, all? I don't discriminate.
1: Right. <laughs> so I mean, you're as hot as Jennifer and Aniston men. and you you're as hot as Jennifer Aniston and then like you're running around at strip clubs and fucking guys on the first date and you you've never been married, huh? Uh, I've
10: been engaged to a few times, but mm. they weren't, you know. I didn't decide to try the knot. I'm the one that broke it off. So, no. okay. Right. Am yes, I, you found I out, I out that they collect
5: day, baseball cards. But... Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I said you found out they collected baseball cards. Instead, <laughs> I'm not married. Well,
10: hey, if they collect baseball cards and they're good in bed, then I'm willing to, I can get into baseball cards or at least pretend to if they can, you know, bring the heat. So.
4: Do you date
1: guys who look like Ross from Friends? Like, do you ever, like, try to...
10: Mm, not this, uh, I mean, no, not really.
1: No. <laughs> and you say you're, like, an artist who welds...
10: For me.
1: You weld metal and stuff? And, like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, you make statues yeah, and stuff?
10: Uh, I don't want to disclose over the air what I, right. I make, but I do uh some really high-end work so yeah but uh
1: have you been drinking at all you sound a little bit drunk
10: oh i'm just driving to work and it's early so yeah early and dark so i don't yeah how big
1: how big are your boobs
10: um like a 34 c
9: jeez that's about perfect
10: I've been told I have perfect titties, but maybe they were just trying to flatter me. So I love my titties. I love playing with my titties, twisting my titties, licking my titties. Jeez. I enjoy them.
1: Pretty fucking awesome. She enjoys her titties.
10: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you enjoy your titties, Robin?
5: Well, they're there. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no. She enjoys hers. She's very sexual. Are you up for anything in bed? Are you doing anal? Um, I'm
10: not a... Big anal fan. I've done it a few times, hmm. you know. Nice. But I'm, you know, I like a little bit of bondage, and you know, I'm pretty pretty open. Um, so. What
1: do you mean a little bit of bondage? I'm kind of interested in that myself. What do you do?
10: I'm just like getting tied up or blindfolded, and I have like, you know, like a riding crop and like different little whips and stuff like that.
1: So you're not opposed to me tying you up?
10: Not at all. Hmm. Now, oh. with not the props, are you it. hitting the guy or the guy hitting you? No. I like, I, I like to be hit. Just a little oh. bit. Yeah, a little pain for pleasure, a little tease.
1: Yeah, I've seen that in some porn movies, like the riding crop. I, I see the guy hitting the girl on the ass, but some guys take the riding crop and, and smack the girl's vagina inner titties <laughs> did, did you ever have that yeah, happen
10: I, I have yeah it, it works sometimes yeah definitely yeah. lightly Fun. Yeah. a little bit of build up pussy. yeah Some, well I'm sometimes hard you know depends on the mood i mean sometimes yeah i like a little you know or like smack the ass really hard and then they give it a good squeeze you know something
1: like that, that used to be so, that that little period of time where i was single um, I tried that with a couple of women at the time. But I told you, I, I didn't know what to do once I had them tied up.
5: You didn't have a riding crop with you?
1: No. What I did was, um, <laughs> my thing was, because I saw it in a porn movie, I would leave the room. And I read it in a <laughs> porn book once. They said, that drives a woman crazy because they're, like, tied up and you're gone. And, like, so, supposedly their, their vaginas get very, very wet because they are, this, of course, was a porn and uh, because they're like oh, they're frustrated they can't touch their own vagina because they're so hot for you. So I would leave the room. Yeah,
10: my ex did that one time where he tied me up and then left the room and I was like, Hey, wait a second, and then he came back.
1: So Yeah, well I left the yeah. room and then I'm sitting there going, All I want to do is bang. Why oh, this is a this why am I now I'm getting angry that I'm not tied up and I'm outside of the room. Like like I'm actually I, I go, This is the dumbest thing. So I went back in the room and Two seconds later, I untied her and we, and we did it. They didn't, you know, it was, it wasn't all that great. And then it was also like, you know what? I like um, someone like wrapping their arms around me and stuff. Now the person's tied up. They can't even, they can't do anything to you. <laughs> I need so like
10: both. I don't need it. I don't need it every time. Cause you know, I love feeling a man's skin or a woman's skin and, you know, you know, looking into their eyes or, you know, I'm, I love the intimacy aspect of it as well but you know there's definitely times where it's
1: just fun to get freaky and then it turns out i'm bad at tying knots everybody got out oh really you came back and they were already untied well like i never had any rope or anything so i would use my (laughs) necktie and uh two (laughs) seconds later everyone's out of it and i'm like oh
4: i'm a disaster
1: yeah it was pretty lame But, Like I even did we're one we- where um the woman was like her arms were you know out you know stretched out, and her legs were spread wide open, so I could do whatever I want mm-hmm. and then I realized I don't really want to do anything uh, besides <laughs> put my penis inside, so it wasn't like there was something to do after I had everybody tied up, you know
10: well you can you can penetrate them when they're tied up, you
1: can get yeah, I mean ready. I could, but then I realized I like to be you know hugged and like it was yeah. kind of. And- Weird. I get
10: it for sure. I like both. Yeah, like I, I don't need to be tied up every time. You
1: mean you've been tied up, Spread Eagle, and the guy? What does the guy do to you? Uh, you know, he'll, uh, you
10: know, smack my ass with, you know, the, (sighs) the writing. With different things, and then he'll also sometimes use like a vibrator, and you know, get oh, me off streaks. that way. And then he'll, idea. you know, put my ass up, and then fuck me from behind, you know, stuff like that. Mm. So,
1: seems like a lot of work. <laughs> All
10: right, well. more work for them and fun for me. So,
1: <laughs> no, you but smell I, like a party, I'll mut- tell you.
10: Mutual benefit. So, yeah.
1: You sound like a real party, I'll tell you that, Amanda. But do you? Do you this do is you, the girl uh, who everyone.
5: called us to ask if she should carry a condo.
1: <laughs> she should carry a giant rubber suit.
10: <laughs> well, they've always had them. Every guy that I've ever been with has always had them. But I feel like it's, you know, maybe... No, it's a I good should.
1: idea. It's a good idea.
10: You know, it wouldn't Absolutely. hurt, like you said, and just ask them first. And then if they don't, be like, oh, look what I have here. So.
1: Do you ever pee on guys?
9: No. Yeah, I'm
1: not. Nor into do that. I
10: want to be peed on. I'm not into right. that at all. I'm with you. No, no. Sal loves you. that. That's a little too much for me.
1: Sal slipped me a note and goes, "Ask her if she likes to be peed on."
5: I wondered if he did that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: I did. Sal's that was
10: fucking me. hilarious, though. I am very much a Sal fan. Um, yeah, I love all of his stories. He was Ryan. So, you a fucking giant. So,
4: all. Are you into
1: yourself. threesomes at all?
10: Yes. Not as com- not as often as I would like, you know. But uh, yes, I've definitely Jeez. gone that direction multiple times for sure.
9: So, Jeez. Yeah. So like you Where get you have
4: time
10: the- to work.
1: <laughs> do you ever like? Are you ever no, with a couple? I, I like work it's really
10: a- hard.
1: Are you the type that ever goes to a bar and you know you're dressed like almost in nothing, and then you meet a couple and you go home with them?
10: No, it's usually couples that I already know.
1: Um,
10: Yeah. How do you get that going? Um, Just knowing the right people, going to certain events, meeting people. You know, there's like a big polyamorous community out here in California. So, you know. Have you ever, like, hung out
1: with a couple and you say to the woman, like, you go in the kitchen and you conspire with the woman, hey, we should get it on in front of this guy and... And then you come out and start putting on a show for him?
10: Uh, Yeah, I've done that before.
1: How's that go down?
10: Um, just the girl and I will talk about it, and, you know, it's kind of already like the energy is already there that, you know, I, it's going to happen. Basically, everyone's kind of feeling, you know, a little sexy, and so usually the girl and I will start off, and then the guy will join in. Well, she's a
5: polyamorous person. And so she's... Well, it's interesting Surrounded I, by...
4: Yeah.
10: Yeah, I'm surrounded by it, but I don't really... Like, a lot of people in poly have, like, one primary partner and then a bunch of, like, sub-partners. And I've... At the moment, I don't have one primary partner.
1: This so girl I, knows about everything. I you look- said polyamorous, and I was kind of like bummed because it, you know you were making it scientific, and she was like, "Yeah, the poly community is like," <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> the poly community! I mean, who would even knew there was a community?
10: Yeah, there's poly. a community.
1: It's like, are you yeah, kidding it's, me?
10: It's funny. This guy I used to date. He's super into it, and he like gave me a whole book on polyamory, which I haven't had time to read, but."
1: Yeah, fuck reading. You're too busy banging. <laughs>
10: exactly. You're living it. She's not reading.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna read up on it. You don't need to read up on
4: it. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you must be super odd. I mean, uh, you look like Jennifer Aniston. You got those big 34 C's. What's your waist size? Um, I'm like a
10: 29 30. So trying to get a little more.
4: Yeah, height. you got a I
10: little. I'm strong. What do you weigh? Um, I'm like 118.
1: And you're 34, 30
10: waist. No, I'm like a 29, 30 waist, 34 Mm. feet,
1: 34, 30. And then what's, what are those hips doing?
10: I'm like a 29, 30, uh, hips, like waist. So, yeah. You built like a box. No, that's together. called an H, Howard. He's yeah, H. like an H. H. <laughs> What's that mean? Is that good or bad? Sounds-
5: that's just know. different body types. Some people are the hourglass. Some people are an H.
1: Yeah, I'm like a Z. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's looking at me. <laughs> All right. Uh, just email me a picture of yourself. And holding a newspaper, Today's Date, and, uh, and a condom. <laughs> like you're All right, Amanda
10: kidnapped,
5: right?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah like and
10: it's just kind of funny. My um, my old uncle used to be a condom salesman in Rensselaer, New York, and would go like door-to-door selling nice. condoms at like different drug stores So, yes, it's in my genes. <laughs>
9: yeah. Sounds like a lot
1: but of things have been in your genes.
10: <laughs> Touché, <All right>. Howard. <laughs> okay
1: amanda uh good luck right. carry a condom definitely carry one or two
10: right.
5: everyone should carry All a right. condom
1: yeah you sound very hot thank you
10: thank well, you so much one. you
1: guys have a beautiful day take care you too, hey,
10: you too baby i'm right. down right.
1: put some ice on that thing <laughs> she wants another cock good luck with that constant fucking well, I was going to tell you about this Long Island Medium and what she's up to, but I'm—I don't know, man. It's really nasty stuff. She did a special. I'll do this at some point, but she did a special where she gets in touch with um, families who had people die on the on the on nine eleven. She got in touch with people who want to be in touch with people who died on nine eleven. Yeah, like relatives. That seems particularly horrible.
5: I think people willing to be really horrible a lot. And I couldn't believe when I, I happened to pass that as I was, you know, just going around the dial no. a while back. It was nine eleven actually. And somebody thought this would be a great thing to show on nine eleven. People being put in touch with supposedly the people they lost on nine eleven.
1: Well, it was on TLC, which I'm a big fan of because I watch Thousand Pound Sisters and um, and the uh, all the obesity shows. But um, does TLC, like, are they putting that on to say, hey, look at the nonsense that's going on out there? Or are they putting it on because no, they think it's a nice thing? they're putting it
5: on as a remembrance of
1: 9-11. Yeah, so the concept was... And I, I, I'll get into this because I pulled some clips. The Long Island Medium goes to the actual nine eleven attack site, you know, goes and and then contacts nine eleven ghosts, who evidently, yeah. if you go down to the actual Twin Towers, the ghosts, I guess, are all hanging out there. Like they don't, they don't even want to leave that area. I guess, you know. Uh,
5: h- they, hello, are you really serious?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, why, why? Why else are would
5: staying there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, why else does she have to go down to nine eleven, like, to the Twin Towers? Like, can't you contact them from your living room? Like, wh- like, why are they hanging out at the Twin Towers?
5: Because, like I said, she's a horrible person.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the special is called Long Island Medium in Memory of nine eleven, 11 And even the title pisses me off. So, of course, I want to talk to you about it at length. But right now I'm going to take a break. And then Dave Grohl has really written an excellent book. It's very well done. It's full of great rock and roll stories in his life. And it's just written very... Uh, all I know is I read it in about two days. So it must be good. Because well, you normally, uh,
5: are a, a historian, shall I say. You love to know the history of rock and roll and everything that went into creating a great artist. So,
1: Yeah, yeah I, I love books like this. But also Dave wrote a whole thing. This is... I have to talk to him about it. He wrote a whole thing about ghosts. Really? UFOs yeah and it was weird I read on the Kindle while Beth's sleeping so it was dark in the room and I don't believe in ghosts or anything but I did <laughs> I got scared
5: <laughs> the book scared you
1: yeah and I don't believe any of that shit I don't even believe Dave does but I mean Dave obviously does because he writes about it pretty seriously but he'll tell this story I'm sure anyway let me take a break and uh, you know what a fan I am of Dave Grohl. Not just yeah. from Nirvana, but Foo Fighters. I mean, to be in two great bands, it's almost impossible. So I hold him in high regard. In fact, he's going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's already in as the Nirvana's drummer, but he's uh, yeah. going in as Foo Fighters this year. So, All right. Let me take a break. We'll get back to uh, that. Oh. Band,
4: covering
1: him in fuel. I know. You know him.
2: Oh yeah, Warren they're Haynes good. The hero. Oh my god, I know. That's amazing.
1: I fucking love
2: I, this. I mean, did I ever tell you the
1: story about Warren Haynes and my mother? No, your mother's very cool, and we're going to talk about her in a minute. But you tell me the story, okay? So, I mean, it's a by the way, we 11. should mention that Warren Haynes used to play with the Allman brothers. But OK, that's yeah. right. OK, right. so
2: on September 11th, uh, my mo- I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. And so my house is maybe about eight miles from the Pentagon. I was in Los Angeles when it happened. And so uh, I called my mother to check in to make sure she was OK, because the Pentagon, which also got hit, was close to my house. And she said, oh, there's sirens everywhere, and the streets are closed down. And I said, you got to get out of there. you got to get out of there. She goes, I don't know where to go. I said, let me figure it out. So I called my management, and I said, hey, are there any tour buses around? I want to get my mom out to Los Angeles. i got to get her out of Virginia. And they said, let's check. And about three hours later, they called. They said, okay, there's a tour bus. And they can pick her up in three hours, but there's a catch. She has to share it with Warren Haynes from Government Mule and the Allman Brothers. <laughs> and I said, like, okay. And I knew him. He's the sweetest man in the world. He's amazing. So I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I got you a bus. Start packing. But Listen you got to share it with this dude from the Almond Brothers. And I, I said, I promise, he's the sweetest guy in the world. And so he and my mother jumped on a tour bus, came all the way across country to California, and the two of them made
1: best friends. Isn't that great? Wow, what a generous, uh, uh, what a crazy, you, your book is filled with crazy stories. <laughs> I love the book, number one. Hey, by the way, I just have to share this with you, because only, you know, who am I going to share this with? Tomorrow, for the first time in my life, is what I've been waiting for. I'm going to interview Mick Jagger.
0: Whoa, Howard, that's fucking amazing!
1: Huge. I'm so fucking huge. delighted. Huge. Congratulations!
2: I can't believe yeah. that's never happened. What the heck?
1: You know what it is? He does very few interviews, and uh, it came about a whole variety of reasons. But like uh, for like, I have to move the show and everything. But uh, I don't care. Like the, you know, it's Mick Jagger. I mean, think you got to do. Um, it. I what mean, are I know you ask him? Oh, say? I, this is the problem i only have him for like 40 minutes or something well, I, I don't know maybe he'll stay longer we'll see but like i already have two pages of questions and like even just about him as a front man you know that whole decision whether you dance or not or if you're the type of guy who, you know like yeah. even that physical decision and and he still does it at his age just the, the, he, and as a songwriter the whole process with him and keith What the fuck is that? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. How can can you write that many hit songs? I mean, it's It's insane.
2: You know, since the last time I saw you, I can't remember when I did it, but I woke up one morning, and I looked at my phone, and there was a text from an English number, and it said, hey, Dave, it's Mick. I have something I want to work on with you. You can either email me or text me back. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, there's no, this can't be, there's no way it's Mick Jagger. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I I've met him, but there's no way. And yeah. so I just text back and said, yeah, I'll call you in half an hour. And I call the number. He's like, all right. James, how you doing? I'm like, Oh my God, it's Mick Jagger. And <laughs> ah. I said, I said, what have you been doing for the last year? And I guess before the pandemic hit, they were preparing to go out and do some shows. And he said, he goes, well, you know, he he, he got a dance studio to warm up for the tour. And then the tour got shut down. And he said, but I kept the studio. I just kept dancing, man. And so it's like that whole time everyone was locked down. He's still in a dance studio getting his moves together for a year to come out and do the shows they're doing now. He's incredible. Unbelievable.
1: Well, somebody said they once clocked in a concert because he does stadiums. That in any given concert, he he's it's a, it would be um, analogous to running twelve miles. That he's literally <laughs> running twelve miles, and the, you know he's no kid. He's unbelievable, How? dude. Unbelievable. You worked with him, so you ended up working with him. Well, yes, and we
2: recorded the song. He said he had written a song about COVID. And he's like, it's a bit punk rock, so I wondered if you play the drums. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll put the drums on it. And then he's like, just put anything you want on it. So I put bass on it. I put guitar on it. We sent it back and forth. And the coolest thing was uh, when we finished recording the song and he sent back the first mix, man, it was so raw and it was so noisy and it was so, I was like, I can't believe this guy wants to release, this is like, it sounds like Radiohead in a blender, like it was insane, it just sounded right. totally insane but then what, what I realized was it's those guys, it's the innovators like the originators, they're the ones, more than the young ones, they're the ones that are willing to take the risks like right. these, someone like Mick or Paul or Roger Waters like those are the guys, they really take the risks, they make us looks like straight you know it's those guys that invented rock and roll that actually they take the
1: risks yeah because like when you worked with paul mccartney and you know it was essentially nirvana without kurt but paul mccartney was the 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 singer on that song that song was way loud and distorted and fucking uh like it's almost like back in your scream days or something it's like oh yeah motherfucker, it, it was crazy and i was like paul singing that Oh, yeah, but when he walked
2: in, the greatest thing was, you know, everybody, he brought the bass. Like, there was the bass, that cool (laughs) offer It was on a stand in there. And he walks in with this guitar made out of a cigar box. I mean, it it was a a stick. And he's like, no, I'm going to play this. I'm like, yeah, of course you
1: will. You're Paul McCartney. It was amazing. Here's you and uh, Mick. Easy Sleazy is the name of the song. Can't believe you. Man, you've worked with everybody. That rock. So you guys are, you guys are never in the same room when you're doing this. You guys just sent it back and forth. No, I think he was in
2: Italy at the time. And that was the thing I said. I said, yeah, send it to me. 30 seconds later, I had an email with that demo. I mean, he had like, when he's on it, he's on it, man. And then it was just a few
1: days before we were done. Why wouldn't he bring that to the stones? Like, what, what do you think was going on? He just needed a break from them or something?
2: I don't really know.
1: I don't know. Mm. I
2: didn't ask. You didn't ask. I mean, when you're in the Rolling Stones world, <laughs> you don't ask too many questions. You just do it. <laughs> you do it.
1: Wow. It's fucking yeah. amazing. By the way, the reason Dave's here, he's not here is for his health. He's written a book over the pandemic. And again, I will recommend it to you. I, I've told the audience about the book. I read it over the summer. And when I say I read it over the summer, I, I read it in like two days because it's everything I want in a rock book. Uh, No bullshit. I I was going to call you even and tell you because it's the kind of book where I want to know great stories about your life as a musician. And you hit all the, you know, you hit all the, the, the important stories. The book is called the storyteller, but there was a question I had from this one story because it was probably the story where I lit up the most because it's my fantasy about rock and roll. And you were very honest about this. So when you were a kid, there was some girl in your school and you were not like a popular guy in school. This girl, Sandy, right? And when you started telling this story in the book, I was like, this is what fucking lights my fire. Cause this is what I think inspires most rock and roll artists. So Sandy's hot. You don't stand a chance with her. You have the balls to go over to Sandy and ask her out and say, will you be my girlfriend? What grade were you in? Seventh, ninth, What seventh grade. Seventh Seventh grade. grade. Okay. Sandy's hot. You want her. I I, I would, not first of all, in this story, never have the balls to go over to Sandy and ask her to be my girlfriend. But you did. And you weren't confident. You weren't George Clooney. You know, you didn't have the whole guitar hero thing going or drum hero or whatever. And Sandy goes, yeah, I'll be your girlfriend. And for one glorious week, which is longer than you even think it's going to be. For one glorious week, this girl, Sandy is your girlfriend and you're on cloud nine you're like a fucking stud this is your seventh grade girlfriend but in seventh grade she turns to you after one week and says hey i want to play the field fuck you dave you know you're not that great a boyfriend I, did you ever even get to kiss her or anything i mean did did he I go? i
2: don't even, i don't remember i think it was like holding hands in the hallway yeah, and yeah.
1: we talk on the phone all
2: night we were like 13 years old
1: you know yeah. Like I had a girlfriend at 13. I remember I was reading a book called on your wedding night. Cause I was trying to figure out if I should touch her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, re- my parents had on your wedding. Night," But so you so see you're a kid and you're innocent and we didn't have porn back then even to, to learn anything. And then you describe, she breaks up with you and it was a devastating breakup. Like it, it, it rocked you. And you said, it's then that the rock star fantasy hit you. You said, the guitar is my love. The drums are my love. I am gonna become a rock star, and one day this fucking Sandy, one day this Sandy, is gonna come to my show, and I'm gonna be playing a stadium, and she's gonna eat her fucking heart out, and that's the most honest story of all, because that that's what drove me to be on the radio. I didn't have musical talent, but I I wanted the girls who had rejected me to suffer, to see (laughs) that I had become something that desirable. You see, and so this is the part of the story I don't understand. And this is, I'm getting to a question. <laughs> I'm loving your version of this. This is so oh, good, I, Keep going, keep going. I mean, I love this story so much in your book that this was like, I was like, finally Dave's telling the truth. He got into he <laughs> rock and roll. He went to get laid. This is, the, this is the most honest thing. And sure enough, you study the drums. I, you know, you, we'll go into your whole story. But years later, a friend contacts you. You're about to play stadium, right? What stadium it was it? It was a big show. It was an arena in Washington, D.C. It was my hometown show in D.C. <laughs> Your friend calls and goes, hey, by the way, do you mind if you remember Sandy? From And you're like, yeah, she wants to come to the show. And you even say in the book, like, you know, you had to prepare for this. Sandy was coming to the show. This is it. This is why you got into rock and roll. This fucking Sandy. And Sandy shows up, Dave. And what happens? You, she's backstage with you and she looks good, right? She's hot. Absolutely. And, 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 and you're talking with her and she's about to worship you. She's going to be in the audience watching you up on this stage as a guitar God and the head of the Foo Fighters. I I, I mean, what a fantasy, what it's coming true. Did you wear something special that night? Did you prepare? Did you shower uh, extra long? I mean, what what was the preparation like? First of all,
2: I loved your version of the story. It's so good. Yes, basically. I- Okay. When, when, when we were young back then, 13 years old, this was, I mean, she was, she was my first love, you know? So this is the first time my heart ever felt that feeling where you see this beautiful girl and you just, you, you want her to love you and you, you, you want her to be yours. And, you know, this was the first time I ever felt this. Right. Right. And, um, so when she, when she, uh, accepted my offer to be the, the future Mrs. Grohl. She, uh, you know, I was, I was overjoyed. I mean, this was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. Now I'd only been playing guitar for maybe like about two years or three years. So I barely even knew how to do that. Right. Right. But I had right. posters on my walls and I like had Zeppelin posters and kiss posters. And to me, that was like, you know, that, that's Valhalla. You know, these guys, they're, they're more than human. These are like gods and I want to yes. be one of them, you know, right? Yeah. And so when, she told me that she didn't want to be the future Mrs. Scrooge. I was so heartbroken that I turned to the guitar, and so this was the beginning of that connection with my heart and music. Now I'd been listening to other people's songs about heartbreak, and I'd been listening to other people's music, you know, that that soothed their pain, but then. Now I'm heartbroken. I'm like 13 years. I was such a skinny fucking nerd. Like there was just no way I was ever going to be one of these people on the poster or anything like that. Right. But in my mind, I was like, "I'm this is it," you know. So I was so heartbroken. That I sort of realized, okay, the only way I'm gonna get out of this is to pick up that guitar and become a fucking rock star and write songs. So now I have a way to deal with it. Now I've got a guitar. Now I can write songs. Like that's, I turned my pain and the heartbreak in that direction. But I did have this dream. I had a dream that night where I was on stage in an arena playing a lead at the lip of the stage. And the audience is going fucking nuts. And I was like, you're all fucking
4: amazing.
2: And I looked down and she's in the front row crying.
1: Like consumed with regret that she made the horrible mistake. I've had the same fantasy. The crying is, oh, my God. I could have been his girlfriend. Oh, if I had only stayed with him. Oh, my God. I want him so bad. And you're like, you know, no way. You know, I I know your true colors. You didn't want me when I wasn't famous. It's just revenge. It's revenge. revenge.
2: Here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the fucked up thing. So then I come back 30 years later. We I mean, we we went to school with each other for a few more years and blah, blah, blah. We were always friends. You know, it was fine. Yeah. You but she was always dating in other in 20s yeah but she was always dating other guys
1: she's i know but like i
2: mean come on howard we were 13. that's like wanting to be on the same baseball team you were on in fifth grade like it just doesn't (laughs) work and so so then like 25 years later or something we're playing this hometown gig and it's a sold-out show and it's like a high school reunion everybody i know is coming to this show it was our first sold-out show in dc arena hometown thing it's like a homecoming i show up my friend richie says he's bringing sandy sandy comes and uh, I see what she wearing. Ma- you didn't tell me. What is she wearing? I can't remember. I mean, that I, I, remember. I don't really make remember. it. Up. It wasn't like any short opens in a cashmere sweater like it's like <laughs> 1981 or whatever. But uh, but anyway, so we get to it was so we start talking, you know, she's got marriage. She has kids. I'm married. We have kids. We start talking about life, all of our old friends. And then my tour manager says, hey, uh, you got to write a set list. You're on in 20
1: minutes. I'm like, all right. Oh, that's, that's the, the greatest. You couldn't have planned that better. While Sandy's (laughs) standing there, yeah, yeah, hey, Dave, you got something horrible you have to do. You have to plan your set list. I would plan the set list in front of her, like I would show her my rock star powers. Uh, uh, Was Sandy standing there while you prepared? Let's see, which song am I doing again? I I don't
2: remember. I mean, we were sitting next to each other, but the thing that I do remember is that night I'm on stage. Doing a solo at the lip of the stage audience going, you're fucking amazing. And I look down and Sandy's right there, just like she was in my dream when I was 13 years old. Except she wasn't looking at me crying in regret. She was looking at me laughing, saying, you're such a fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And she gave you the finger. (laughs) I mean, listen, we, we had, wait a second. I I had told her this story before, so she knew it. So as I was, as I was sitting there playing, she was looking at me like, don't. Don't even do not even do it. Don't even try. Like, fuck you.
1: I'm not going to cry over you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, shit. She ruined everything. And, then, we, I, and the, then we've
2: remained friends over the years. I mean, I haven't seen her in a long time. But, like, you know, growing up in a small town like that in Springfield, it was like everybody knew each other and everyone grew up with each other.
1: And we've all kept in touch over the years. And um, Wouldn't it have been great, yeah. Dale, Dave? Wouldn't it have been great if she came back and listen, Dave, I actually was in love with you in high school. I got, I got, you know, like she threw herself at you, and started making out with you, and gave herself to you.
2: I don't really know perfect. if that would have been the best idea. I mean, I've been, I've been at a lot of crossroads in my life, but I think that <laughs> one, I've, I finally cleared it
1: and made my way through. In my mind, she still wants you. I believe. I'm reading. I'm actually reading a book that was written by Sandy right now, and Sandy <laughs> says I oh, should have been go. with Dad. I blew it. Yeah, right. You know, because one of the first girls I was ever in love with, blah 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 blah, she has said to me, "I've I've seen her since, and she goes, shit, I should have fucking been with you because we would have been divorced and I would have had half your money.'" And I go, "Yeah, you you, go. you 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 blew it. You <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot! What an idiot! You could have what had an that. Idiot. God, explain. There's there's a couple of things I. But anyway, I love that story in the book. Explain something to me. Uh, this is a minor point, but this is a thought I had when when and I didn't understand it. You say when you started to play drums. You know, you didn't have a drum kit and stuff. You would play on pillows and things like that. And then you said, "Um, I do this thing. And it actually, I used to have to go to the dentist. It would ruin my teeth. I would play the drums on my teeth. And And you said the only other guy you ever saw play the drums on his teeth or with his teeth was Kurt Cobain. That's how he taught himself drums. I didn't really. In other words, I've tried to imagine what you're talking about. Is it this? Yes,
2: but it sounds like this. Okay, listen. It's like
1: it's like that. Wow, and and that's how you taught yourself. Like that was one of the things you did. And you say even when you were drumming for Nirvana back then, you would kind of uh, you saw you saw um, uh, you saw Kurt moving his teeth to keep pace or to keep a beat going, right? Yeah, uh, like if you watch the unplugged the
2: footage that, that we shot. Um, you can kind of see his jaw moving back and forth. And he would sort of use that as a metronome to like keep time whenever he was like playing something. And you know, what I've learned after like sharing that with the people is that a lot of musicians do the same thing. And I think what happens is, um, when you discover music and you start getting really into it, Uh, it's it's like an obsession. And so whether you're like just playing drums on a table or you're humming something in your head or you're playing drums with your teeth, you're basically just, you know, you're kind of utilizing any resource to do it. And when you're a kid and you don't have a drum set, you know, and, and, and you're playing learning on pillows, I would walk to school with my backpack and just played songs with my teeth until I got to my locker and then I'd throw my backpack in the locker and the day would start but yes I went to the dentist and he was like do you chew a lot of ice I was like 10 yeah. 11 I'm like You're no why he goes yeah he was like your mouth your teeth have an unusual amount of deterioration and I was like, oh, wait, I can play drums with my teeth. And I made him listen to me do it. And he was like, get the fuck out of my office right now. Like, that's the, <laughs> that is the stupidest out. thing I've ever seen in my fucking life.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. No wonder uh, Sandy dumped you. You were uh, you, you you had rotten teeth. from, uh, I know, from Listen, by the that. time
2: I'm like 60 years old, I'm going to look like a meth head. They'll be gone.
1: <laughs> Your teeth. That is an amazing thing. And it's amazing that Kurt did that, too. I mean, I, I just... Yeah. I mean, the odds of it and, 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 you know, not being a musician, I found that fascinating, quite frankly, you know, the, um, um, the, the theme also in the book that I have a hard time still believing is you've had one drum lesson or one guitar lesson in your life. And other than that, completely self-taught. And, um, and I, and I was watching an interview with you and, uh, Pharrell Mm -hmm. and Pharrell says you're a great drummer and you. You know, you're a pretty humble guy, but you go, oh, "Stop saying I'm a great drummer. I'm not a great drummer." You insist that you're not a great drummer. You know, I disagree, and you prove to Pharrell that you're not a great drummer, that you were doing disco beats and all this other stuff. But, um, I don't know. I think you are a great drummer. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's kind of a proof. In fact, just by the amount of bands you've been in, and the and, and the first Foo Fighter albums where you played the drums, and and you know why why this insistence that you're not a great drummer and also watching kurt i believe kurt was a great guitar player yeah, um, he, was. he well, was you know this
2: goes back to the okay remember i sent you an email of a forward that I wrote for a book about John Bonham. And in that email, I I was, uh, because you were doing that Neil Peart, John Bonham thing all the time. And people were asking me like, well, what do you think? Howard's trying to figure out which one's the better drummer. So I had written this forward to this John Bonham book. It's called beast. And the, the, in the forward, I talk about feel and how feel is something that's totally indefinable. It's something that you, I mean, you you can't, you, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense to over intellectualize it because it's just it's some it just is and it's determined by your personality, your inner tempo. It's like a it's like a blueprint or a finger a fingerprint. You know, it's it's determined by the universe. No two drummers play the same, right? So, you know, it depends on what you consider a great drummer. Like the drummers that I consider great. Are the ones that you can listen to 20 seconds of that person playing the drums and you know exactly who it is you know it's ringo you know it's Bonham. you know it's neil peart you know it's stewart copeland you know it's keith moon and that to me is something to aspire to not the technicality of drumming not how you do something but why you play it that way and so you know when i think about my drumming i mean most drummers i swear to god most drummers hear my drumming and they're just like god he sucks god he's so basic god he's like a and But to me, the most important thing is my feel and my signature thing. So do I consider myself a drummer like Neil Peart? Absolutely not. Do I consider myself more of the like Charlie Watts or Ringo side of things, the feel? Absolutely. That's just kind of what I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you know, I'm never going to come out and say like, I'm the greatest fucking drummer of all time. Like you can't do that. But, and I remember you saying that painters have the same signature feel that, that you could, you can, you can, uh, name a painter by the specific lines that they do. That becomes their signature feel. It's the same thing. It really is.
1: Yeah. I could look at a painting and know who did it. I mean, certain artists, because they have a signature kind of uh calligraphy that they do. But but when you built that old altar, this is another part of your book. But when you built that like (laughs) altar to John Bonham and played to the, you know, you were praying to the gods of drums that you could have a career and all this other stuff. You um you talk about Bonham's symbol those three circles, you know, that they put together. But you also mentioned six oh six. I didn't know what six oh six was when you built that altar to say, you know, basically I want to be a drummer in life. What was six oh six standing for? Okay, this is
2: one of the things that. As I was writing the book, I had a few realizations where I didn't intend to write them. I just found them. So, like, I was sitting there thinking about the time I ran away from my dad's apartment. Right. It was like that was the breaking point between my father and I, where we had this really strained relationship. My parents divorced when I was six or seven. He was, you know, my mother was a liberal public school teacher. Very cool. My dad was a conservative Republican speechwriter on Capitol Hill. He was like Bob Dole, like and he winds up with me as his kid. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. And so um but. So there was one night where he gave me this big long "What are you gonna do with your life" lecture, and I finally had it. And I said, "Fuck it." He went to sleep, and I wrote a runaway note. And it's a, it's a long story, but anyway, I I put it on the table. And as I was like closing the door quietly, not to wake him, I looked at the number of his apartment and it was apartment 606. Oh. And, the, and, and I didn't really even put that together until I started writing the book because then it became a number that I saw everywhere. I would see it on a license plate. I'd see it at 606 PM. I'd, I'd look, I just started seeing it all over the place. Like someone who has the OCD, you know, like I just started seeing it all over the place, but I think it sort of represented something to me that like, Like the birth of my independence, you know, or me like deciding like uh -uh, I'm going to become my own person. I'm going to do it right now. And so when I when I was maybe 17, I mean, I was taking mushrooms and acid. I was out of my mind when I was like 17 or 18 years old. And I had this I had this idea that in order for me to somehow find that signature feel, that thing that's defined by the universe, that I had to ask the universe for it. So I built this fucking altar like a Satan-worshipping weirdo, I build this thing in my carport, and there's, like, candles, and I made all these, like, little symbols and, like, side 606 and the three circles logo, and I, I literally, like, sat down and meditated and begged the universe to become a fucking rock star.
1: <laughs> wow. I find that whole part... I, I could have even, in the book, taken more of you and your father, because I'm mixed about your father after reading the book. On the one hand, most dads... You see, it's such a strange thing that your mom is a school teacher, but when you tell her you're dropping out of school to join Scream, I'm like, boy, what an unusual mother and how supportive. But your dad, on the other hand, I kind of get him. He's saying to you, son, you're going to be a loser in life. You need to finish high school and you need to start thinking realistically about the future. Yeah. And, you know, and you kind of hint that your dad had an alcohol problem. You know, you say he had an alcohol problem. But in a way, I get that your dad was maybe just scared for you, that he didn't understand you. And but he didn't seem mean. Now, then all of a sudden he disowned you. You said, I'm dropping out of high school. And he goes, well, fuck you. I don't want to see you anymore. Good luck to you. He's a confusing guy to me.
2: Well, I mean, it's, you're right. I could write an entire book about this relationship because. It, it was, we were very conflicted, you know. I mean, my father was a classically trained flautist. He was a musician with perfect pitch and he had the ear and he had the musical mind. I'm sure that he had his own weird sense of synesthesia where he could see music, like stuff like that. Um, I, I actually wrote, I wrote an article, an article about this for The Atlantic. And it basically says like, how far does the apple fall from the tree? In my case, it rolled all the way down the fucking hill, you know? And, but right. I talk about our, our similarities and I'm, I'm who I am because of this person. And so, yeah, we had a really strained relationship until I was maybe in my twenties and then we became friends, you know? And then we get like as a, I, as I became a man, we like, we sort of saw each other on this new level and it was great. You know, one of the reasons why my mother, was okay with me dropping out of high school is because she was a high school English teacher. And so she knew that no children, no two children learn the same. And sometimes it's not the kid that fails the school. It's the school that fails the kid. And she didn't think I was a complete idiot. You know, she just knew that I wasn't going to make it under the fluorescent lights of this, of this public school thing. So when I said, I got to go, I got to go play music, she said, you better be good. That's it. And my father, on the other hand, was like, Good luck. I mean, he took. I think he was saving money for me to go to college, and then the next time I saw him, he had this like forest green Plymouth Volare. Like he got like a brand new car. And I was well.
1: Your dad said good luck and stay off the drugs, and that was it. And you didn't talk to him for a. He was basically saying you're no longer my son. And you know, these two people are so different. Your mother and father. You gotta ask yourself why the hell did they. What was the attraction and why did they even get married? You know, you know? I'll tell you, it's, it's funny. They met in theater. They
2: were both in this sort of regional theater group in northeastern Ohio. And they both were like very romantic, artistic, musical uh, people that loved art, culture, and food. And I mean, this is like rural Ohio. This is not like right. New York City. And I think my mother thought my father was going to become like a Broadway actor and they were going to move to New York and have this like amazing city experience. And then he joined the fucking army and they moved to Germany or whatever. But I mean, the thing is, is that my father was so fucking smart and such a good fucking writer and such a good storyteller and such a funny he was fucking funny as shit and he was so cool but he had his own demons you know he he had a fucked up childhood and um i'm not sure if he knew how to be a father and you know a lot of these revelations i have in the book because now i'm a father i have three kids i love being a fucking dad and when i'm doing these things with my kids i think shit why didn't I do this shit with my dad? Or why didn't he yes. want to do that with me? Like hold on a second. Like being I think being a father is the coolest fucking thing in the world. I love my kids. They're awesome. I love well, fucking hanging out with them. And I and it made me think like I don't know if he knew how to do that,
1: you know. Well, maybe your dad was an alcoholic or, you know, heavy drinker because he was dissatisfied. The guy could play the flute. It's probably his he probably had the same dreams of playing professionally that you had. And in a way, he couldn't deal with the idea that you might actually succeed at it. He was jealous of you. Well, it's- I mean, that didn't happen until much later. But I'll tell
2: you, once I did become successful, that was the beginning of this new relationship. Because when, first of all, when Nirvana became popular, one of the first things he said is, you know, this isn't going to last, right? Like you got maybe <laughs> a good year, yeah. maybe two years in this, in this game. And then that's it. And I, I agreed with him. I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, so every check you make, you got to treat it like it's the last one you're ever going to make, and he kind of like instilled this spirit, fatherly, fatherly advice based on this whole my whole childhood. He was so worried that I was going to become a fucking crackhead sucking right. dicks for rock at the fucking bus stop or whatever. <laughs> and You know what I mean? Like, he, I think that he was afraid that would happen. And, and this I understand now as a father. This I totally understand.
1: Yeah, because I kind of like when you write in the book, you had such a coffee addiction. I mean, Dave was drinking five pots of coffee a day and uh, <laughs> at one point uh, said, you know, that's why I never did speed or crack. Because you would have been sucking dicks at the uh, bus stop. You were so addicted, you know? I'm telling it's you,
2: a- when I tell people that I've never, still to this day, I've never done cocaine. I've never done speed, never done coke. Because could you fucking imagine? Like, this is <laughs> this is me. I only slept three hours last night. This has tired me right now. This is fucking, wow. this is hungover tired, Dave. Like, imagine <laughs> putting a mound of blow in front of my beak. I'd be <laughs> so fucked. Like, I maybe last two
1: weeks. Did you ever jam with your father? In other words, did he ever, did you ever take out a guitar and play and he played the flute? Don't you think that would have been beautiful? I
2: mean, It would have been cool. But you know, I remember hearing him play the flute once when I was like 16 years old, when I was at his apartment. He had this Ames chair where he would like listen to music and smoke a pipe and shit. And one night I heard the flute. It was the fucking only time I ever heard him do it. The reason why he stopped playing music was because he couldn't support himself or a family playing the fucking flute. And he thought... Why play an instrument unless you can play it four hours a day? Right. He used to say to me, he would say, don't call yourself a musician just because you play an instrument. Like to him, it was this like this life devotion. If you're going to play the flute, you're going to fucking play the flute all day long. You're not just going to whip it out like once a weekend or something like that. So he just stopped. He put it away. And I I only heard him do it once. And, and then, you know, so- there were times where, like, I would send him a, a Foo Fighters record and he would sit in his Ames chair with, like, a scotch and a pipe and a conductor's baton and, like, sit there and conduct along
1: with the music. <laughs> yeah. It was a trip, man. I mean, it's, a, it's really I get sad when I think about your father. He couldn't love his son fully because, in a way, his own demons were there. He was jealous of your dream. It was his dream, actually. And here he was telling you, don't pursue your dream. Would have been a disaster. There's another part of the book that I so relate to, and I'm dying to talk to you about it because I experienced the same exact thing in my career. So, you're in high school, and you know, your band, uh, I love the name, Dane Bramage. (laughs) Dane Dane Bramage is the name of Dave's uh, band. It's a great name, by the way. Dane Bramage. I, I do like it. You're laughing about it. But it is a good name for a band, isn't it? I, listen, we we'd, we'd put it on the album cover. Yeah, we committed. Yeah. We had that name. So, you know, Dave's really dreaming about being a professional musician. He's got his band, Dane Bramage, and, uh, you know, they're doing their thing. And, of course, you become a huge fan of punk music, and it's become your life, and it's really part of you. And one of the bands you love is this band, Scream. Which is a you know more professional kind of band. They're actually booking gigs and they're making money and they've got a real band. And so you find out that Scream, you know, is looking for a drummer. And I'm I'm not going to tell you everything in the book, but the 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 fact is that you get an audition with Scream and they say, "What do you want to do in the audition? You want to play some Zeppelin? You want to play some ACDC or whatever the hell it is?" They say they offer you and you go, "No." Let's do some scream songs because you were a real fan of scream that they were blown out. You knew every drum part of every scream song. So when you went in on that music on that audition, and this is my point in life, you got to be ready. No matter what the performance is, you got to be am. a real student. So when you did this audition for your, your heroes scream in front of them and played their songs, they were blown out. They offer you the job. Yeah. They offer you the job now. A high school kid. You're still in high school. I lied about my hair. I told them I was like 22. I'm like, I'm 22
2: years old. You know, they, they had no idea I was still in high school.
1: You didn't even have pubic hair. No, how old Barely. were you? About my balls hadn't 16. even dropped yet. You, 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 yeah, fall. 17. You, you had no balls. You had a vagina at that point. Exactly. You were, but but, but, but the, the thing is, you go in on that audition, and you kill it, and they love you, and they say to you, Dave, you're now going to be the drummer for Scream and you say i can't take the job now i read this and i went oh my god now it turns out the guy who then they offer the job to because you won't take it he ends up having a kid here and you you go back and you ask them for a second chance and you say hey uh, can i still be the drummer for scream and they go yes Now, this changed the whole trajectory of your life. Who knows if you hadn't done Scream, if you hadn't toured with them. Who knows if you would have met Kurt. You know, the whole thing could have changed. But you became a professional musician by joining Scream and by going on tour and being in a van. And I read this and I went, the same thing happened to me. All I wanted my whole life since I was five was to be on the radio. I dreamt of it. I sat in my room and dreamt of it. And... I finally, I was so bad at it, and I got offered a job. And the guy offered me nights, 10 to 2 at night on a rock station playing progressive rock. I can pick my own music. I said, no, I turned it down. I got so scared. I was so, I felt I was so bad that people, it it would be a disaster. And I turned down my dream job. You turned down your dream job, and I turned down my dream job. Why did you, I know why I turned mine down. Why did you turn it down? Well, first of
2: all, when I went to that audition, I didn't think that I would become the drummer of Scream. The reason why I knew all of those songs is that's how I learned to play drums on my bedroom floor with these pillows, listening to Scream records, all my punk rock records. I knew Scream's music like back and forth to like front to back. Like I, I knew every single song, every drum riff, cause that's how I learned to play. Were you that nervous? Was, they were my Walk- teachers.
1: Were you nervous walking into the room when you met these guys? Because to them, oh my to you, God. they were like, the Beatles, you know.
2: they were Yeah, they were rock stars. They were the coolest, like, local punk rock band in my mind. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted bragging rights to my friends to say, hey, I jammed a scream. To say, hey, I met scream. And so when I showed up to that audition, it wasn't the whole band. It was just the guitarist Franz. Because I think on the phone, he heard me like, hi, I'm 22. I want to be the, he's like, this isn't going to be, but he was being yeah. nice. He was like, okay, I'll fucking jam with you yeah. kid or whatever. And right. shows up and he goes, okay, do you want to play some AC, DC, Zeppelin? What do you want to do? And I said, no, I want to play Scream songs. And he said, oh really? Which ones do you know? And I was like, I know them all. Like that was like, well, that was my Clint Eastwood moment. I was like, this is right. great. Um So of course we, we like jammed through the whole thing and, and uh, it sounded great. And then the next time I got together with them, it was the whole band. And then I started realizing, oh shit, they might want me to actually be their fucking drummer. But I was like, I was still in fucking high school, dude. And I'm in this other <laughs> band with my friends, you know? Right. I'm like, what am I going to just totally give everything up and join Scream? Like, there's no fucking way. So when they asked me, I thought about how much of my life I would have to just fucking throw in the dumpster And wind up and just start from scratch. And I'm like, I'm not ready to do that. Because I didn't even know if I was capable of doing that. You know, One of my fantasies when I was a kid was that I would go to a rock show, my favorite band, who I know all their fucking songs, and the house lights would come up and someone would say, I'm sorry the band can't play tonight because the drummer broke their wrist unless there's someone that knows every fucking song. And I would raise my hand and save the day. And that would be like – so I had that fantasy as a kid. And with Scream, this is basically what happened. I wind up in this basement and I say, I know them all. And we start going for it. Jammed with them once. Then I had to tell them, I'm sorry I can't join the band. They were like, what a fucking little prick. And so right. then I go back to life and I I see them play one more time at a club in D.C. And the fucking feeling I got when they kicked into the first song and the fucking room exploded and it was like bodies flying and volume. It was like, that was rock and roll catharsis. And I'm like, Okay, this is it. Like, this is, this is the feeling I'm searching for. I was working at like a fucking furniture warehouse or something. Like, what was I doing with my life? I was the shittiest fucking student. I knew I was going to drop out of high school. I was like, what was I going to do? Drywall shit for the rest of my life. I'm a fucking musician. Like, this is what I have to do. So I went back and I said, okay, I'm going to be your drummer. And that became, that began this process of like pulling the roots of my life from when I was a child. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going for it.
1: And it's, you love it, but I love when you explain that, like, you start playing with them. You can't even go, you're not even of age to go into some bars with them and play. Like you got wait out in the van. By the way, talk to me a little bit about van life. (laughs) It's like you literally lived the van life. Like you, you had to pack all your gear into a van. You guys would sleep in the van. Right. I mean, it is a hard, you have to be young and, 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 and just full of dreams in order to live that life.
2: I feel like anyone could do it if they love music that much. That was the thing. It's like, all right, I have a sleeping bag. Like, okay, I've got the duffel bag. And my drums are underneath me when we're fucking rolling down the highway. But we're going to a gig. And once we're out of this stinky ass van, we're going to fucking rock that shit as hard as we can. And then we're going to get back in it and probably sleep there. Because there were no hotels. It's like we were sleeping. I was sleeping on the stages that I just fucking played. It smelled (laughs) like like piss and beer and bleach, you know. And I'm just fucking wake up the next day. I was totally okay with it because I had the music.
1: What was your per diem a day again? i i read it. It, was it was like seven
2: dollars a day,
1: and you said for seven dollars a day, living in the van, you could buy weed, you could yeah. buy uh, I guess like Taco Bell or something for for food, yeah. and uh, and what was the third thing? Cigarettes, like that a pack was of it.
2: six, like that was it. And you <laughs> were
1: lucky if you got that, you know.
2: But you right. just found your way. Listen, when you're but you were being paid. 19. You were being paid to be a musician. Oh, I was a so, professional musician making seven dollars a day, fucking rolling around in some rust bucket with six other stinky dudes.
1: Like you don't. You was fucking great, dude. But there's such magic in your story because, again, I was fascinated. It's the same scream story all over again. You're sitting in the van. You guys are doing a scream gig. Iggy Pop is one of your heroes. <laughs> you've 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 spent your life listening to Iggy Pop. You know every song every Iggy Pop ever did. And you're you're parked in your van, and some dude comes by and says, "Hey, um, you know, essentially Iggy Pop needs a drummer, come in and play for Iggy Pop." And you go, "Oh yeah, I know his songs." And the next thing you know, while you're in Scream, Iggy Pop has you on stage with him, and you're playing, but no rehearsal, right? I mean, barely. No, I mean, so, I mean, it was in Toronto,
2: and Scream was playing a gig in a club, and we asked them what time sound check. They said noon. We're like, fuck what? We don't go on until 10. What the fuck? They're like, be here at noon or you get no sound check. So we show up early for this sound check. And as we're sound checking, they're putting all these Iggy pop posters on the wall for his new record. It was called Brick by Brick. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? I asked somebody, what's, what's up with the posters? He said, Oh, Iggy's having a record release party before your show. And he's playing. We're like, holy oh, shit. Like, this is the closest we've ever been to royalty. Like it was like, right. Iggy's going to be in the same shitty fucking club we're going to be in. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> and they said, no, you got, you can't stay. It's record company only. And we begged. We're like, what's, we have to watch it. Who's going to look after the equipment? They're like, they're fucking record company. Nobody's stealing your fucking drums. So we went out into our van in the alleyway and just fucking sat there and waited. We had six hours before we were going to play. And so I'm just sitting there waiting and this guy comes up to the window and he's like, Who's the drummer? And I'm like, oh, fuck. What did I do? Like, did I burn down the club? Did I fucking? <laughs> it? And he's like, I said, me. And he said, you want to play drums with Iggy Pop? And I walked in there, and there was Iggy with a guitar. He was performing, but he didn't have a band. And he, he said, hi, my name's Jim. I said, hey, I'm Dave. And he said, do you know my music? I said, absolutely. I sat down, and we started. he started playing like 1969 or something. Or I Want to Be Your Dog. And it was like, it sounded amazing. It was just the two of us. We ran through it. And then he started showing me new songs. I'm like, what the fuck is going... Like, what? <laughs> and then we did a couple of those. And he said, okay, we're on at 6 o'clock. And I was like, oh, you want to do this in front of people? Like, you want to do that. And I said, "You, we need a bass player. He's like, you got one? And I fucking went out to the van and got Skeeter. And he came in. And for that one night, that was, to me, that was the first time I ever felt like making it. And if it was the last time, I would have been fucking good. Because not only was I jamming with Iggy... But like record company people, they thought we were his band, so they were coming up like, "Can we get you anything?" And I'm like, "Uh, <laughs> could I get a carton of cigarettes?" They're like, "Absolutely." <laughs> anything else? I'm like, "Uh, could I get a case of beer?" Like, I, and and I realized like, "Oh my god, I could have anything I fucking want right now." And two <laughs> hours later. Banned. It was over. I was back in the fucking van with my stinky friends in the fucking sleeping bag. But like, I, I, that was it for me. I'm like, okay, now I know what it's like to make it. That was fucking great.
1: That's so Chuck Berry. I heard wherever he went, he never traveled with a band. Whoever was around, he just put him in the band and lots of, right. of guys. Put, I, I mean, that's yeah.
2: kind of rock and roll in a way. Like, and yeah. this is, a, and I talk about this in the book a little bit. It's not having a safety net. Like when you when you see, like when Rick Astley came up and jammed with us in fucking Tokyo. We never met the dude and we just learned the song an hour before. And I see him on the side of the stage. I'm like, Hey, we just learned your song. It kind of sounds like, smells like teen spirit. Do you want to come sing it in front of 50,000 people right now? He was like, absolutely. And I'm like, Rick Astley has balls the size of fucking hippity hops. I was like, Oh my God. Because that is a professional
1: musician. You should be able to play at a moment's notice. And, and that, yes. that separates the men from the boys. It, it, it's, uh, do you, by the way, you described that your drumming style, you you say in the book, um, I used to reverse my sticks. I'd always play with the thick end of the drumsticks because I thought I'd get more power that way. Do you still do that? Do you still turn them around? No, I eventually flipped them back over. I mean, it's, it's that,
2: like I said, everybody hits their drums differently and I finally found this sweet spot where I could fucking smack a snare and it just sounds like a fucking it sounds like a gun blast I know exactly where to put it and it, and where to yeah. hit it and my and my hand just like instinctively goes to that place now and so but no when I that for that one drum lesson that I took from a fucking jazz drummer this DC jazz drummer he sits down at the set and he's like rah, 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 rah. he goes let me see what you can do and I'm like do with some stupid shit <laughs> and the first thing he says he's like He's like, okay, first of all, you're holding your sticks backwards. You know that, right? And so I was so fucking embarrassed. And then he had me on this practice pad going whap, 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 whap for 30 bucks an hour. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't even afford to become a good drummer. There's no fucking way. (laughs) Like, you know, it it would cost as much for me to become a fucking doctor at Harvard or whatever. And so I was just like, ah, fuck it. I'll figure it out myself.
1: So you never sat and fantasized that, oh, I wish my parents had gotten me lessons and uh they, 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 you're 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 doing just fine. Maybe it would have screwed you up. Maybe, you know,
2: it, it, who knows? You know, one of the good things about being self-taught in anything, I think, is that without someone telling you how to do it, you don't have any sense of right or wrong, right? So you might be doing things that wouldn't be considered like technically correct, but they, they might sound good. So I never had anyone to correct me. And in doing that, I think what happens is you you create your own sound because no one's telling you what to do or what not to do. And I feel fortunate for that. There was a time in my life where I knew that I wasn't going to make it as a professional musician. I mean, the $7 a day thing, like that was pretty fun. But I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn to read music and I'm going to become a studio drummer. And I'm gonna go and be a great studio drummer and make enough money that I can put myself back into school and get a real fucking job. And no. before I could do and then Nirvana became popular, I was like, fuck college. I'm fucking it's all <laughs> <Yeah>. now.
1: <laughs> it's over. You know studio musician. You no know, the, the 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 despair you describe in the book, when you have to, you know, hear scream, they were your heroes, they took you into the band. And now you had the decision, you meet Kurt and uh, now you're gonna join Nirvana. You know, and become their drummer. And you felt really, really bad. And your mom, she's quite a woman, really, really remarkable. I know why you dedicate the book and everything to her. She says to you, Sometimes I know you feel bad about leaving Scream, but sometimes you just have to put your needs in front of other people's. And you said, You know, that's, it's weird my mother told me that because she never put her needs in front of mine. She, you know, well, you know what I, what I eventually realized, Howard, was what she was referring to
2: was my parents' divorce. She said, sometimes you have to do what's best for you. And Mm -hmm. I I was surprised too. I'm like, you're the most altruistic person I've ever met in my entire life. Devoted her life, not only to my sister and I, but to generations of students. She was helping everybody else get on with life. So when she said, sometimes you just have to do what's best for you, at the time I, I, I was surprised. But as I was writing the book, I realized, oh shit that's what she needed to do to survive when my yeah. parents broke up and it's i mean yeah. and it was it was hard you know it was really hard for me to leave my buddies and join this new band of strangers i hadn't met nirvana when i first joined the band i just flew up there fucking moved in with kurt in this tiny little apartment and then it was like you know and now i'm surviving on three corn dogs a day now it's 99 cents a day there's a gas <laughs> yeah. station i had three corn dogs for 99 cents that was like now i got to budget that but like i said There was the fucking music. And that was the thing that
1: kept you alive. So how did you know? Did Kurt play you some songs and you knew he was going to be great? Or the band was just starting to make some noise? What was going on that you knew to leave Scream? There
2: was a record. um, There was a record record before the record never mind they, nirvana had a record called bleach and they had i was their fifth drummer they had a bunch of drummers right. the, but this kid, this guy chad channing was their drummer he had left so i knew that record because it was really popular in the underground and the cool thing about it was like you know it was like noisy like dissonant punk rock cool songs but then there was this song called about a girl in the middle of the record, which is like, I mean, it sounds like something off of an early Beatles record. It's like a Lennon McCartney song. And you're listening to it, you're like, oh fuck, this kid can do that too? Holy shit. And so we had a mutual friend and they said, Nirvana, we're looking for a drummer and they had seen me play. And they were like, "You know, if we can get a guy like that, like it might be cool. And so I called him, talked to him on the phone and they said, if you want, come up, play up. And so then I was at this this crossroads where, what do I do? Do I stay in Los Angeles stranded? The band had broken up. We were staying with the singer and the guitarist's uh sister was a fucking mud wrestler at the Hollywood Tropicana. And we were staying at her house in yeah. uh Laurel Canyon. And I'm like, Really am I gonna this is the rest of my life, really? Like now I'm in LA in Laurel Canyon? Like fucking and so I just I called my mom. She was right. I took the chance and I flew up to Seattle and you know,
1: it happened. Yeah, and- and really, Kurt was a good, I mean, you guys were into the same music, you guys had the same influences, it made sense, but Jesus, from a financial standpoint, those guys at Scream, they were pissed, right? They were just like, you, you fucking- They were bummed off, when I left. They were yeah. bummed, yeah. I
2: mean, and, and more than anything musical, I think just as friends, like we had been through so much fucking shit together, dude, like all of those tours where touring squats- Like fucking squats in Europe, where you show up and they're pirating electricity, they're burning the linens out front (laughs) because there's a snabies outbreak and shit like that. Right. Yeah. And there's like fucking skinheads everywhere, and it's always like you kind of you band together when you're in a situation like that. And so, so to 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 decide to leave those guys and like move on with my next phase of life, it was difficult.
1: Oh, there's so many good stories. I don't even know. I mean, I just love the idea that when you join Nirvana and things start to pop, and all the record companies are interested in you guys, and you get like a four hundred dollar check, and you bought a BB gun and I'm a, such uh, a fucking and idiot. How you have no place. idea? I mean, I'm really, your father was right. You know, you really can't be trusted <laughs> with money. You, 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 Hallelujah! You more, I, I mean, a BB gun and a uh, and what was it? Is it? No, when yeah. I was a kid, I, and you know what?
2: I think a lot of fucking rock musicians do the same thing. Like when you grow <laughs> up, you know. My My mother was a public school teacher. We never had any fucking money. Like I didn't didn't have money for a BB gun or a Nintendo or any of that shit. So when I finally got 400 bucks to me, that was like winning the fucking lottery. Yeah. What I did was I went and I bought all the shit I didn't have when I was a fucking kid. (laughs) And then one week later, I'm back to the fucking corn dogs for 99 cents because I spent (laughs) it like MC Hammer. Like, what the fuck was I thinking?
1: There was a detail in the book that I love. This is why you'll love Dave's book, because this details in there. And you see, I love the technical aspect of what you do. Here you are, the drummer for Nirvana, and you said, I always knew when I had to do a fill, because I'd watch Kurt. I'd watch his feet. And when Kurt would take his foot and hit the, um, uh, whatever those pedals are, you guys around. Distortion pedal. Distortion pedal. I love that, by the way. If I had a band, I'd have fucking fifty million distortion pedals. It looks so cool when you guys like are fucking with your pedals. You not you know, you're not even looking at your guitar. I just love that that rock star move. But you said when Kurt would go to hit his pedal, you knew what he he was going to the chorus or whatever the hell he was going to, right? It it, it, it was a visual cue you had to look for. You yeah. saw his sneaker go on that pedal.
2: That stuff to me, those little. Well, details. you know, when we fucking when we. When I joined the band, we rehearsed in this like barn in Tacoma, Washington. It was this fucked up little barn. It was gross. But we would always begin every uh, rehearsal with an improvisational kind of noise jam, right? Mm -hmm. Someone would start playing something and we'd start jamming long, and you know, it would maybe take shape and then get chaotic and then turn into a thing and then it could turn into a song. Some of our songs happened that way. So, in that, it's all about intuition. Like you're watching each other and you're feeling it. You're knowing like, oh, we're coming up on the fourth bar. We're probably going to kick into something loud. And so I would look over and see Kurt getting closer to the to the distortion pedal. And I'd know like, okay, it's here it comes, here it comes. And just as his foot would fucking get over that pedal, I go, and he'd go, bam, and step on the thing <laughs> and then just go. So it was like, you know, we were famous for that quiet, loud dynamic. And it all came from that.
1: Uh, I've watched many, many, uh, videos and I know you gotta get out of here. Shit. I fucking hate it. I know. But, um, um, uh, Chris hangs his bass really low, like below his balls when he's playing. And it it seems like he keeps that bass down low. Is there, what what do you make of that? That's too low to hang your bass, isn't it? First of all, you know he's six foot seven and a half, right? I didn't realize he was that tall.
2: Wow. He is six, seven and a half. We, 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 were on Saturday Night Live once with Charles Barkley and he towered over Charles Barkley. I was like, oh my wow. God. This is crazy. <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> he's, he's really tall, you know? Yeah. But he likes, I mean, he just liked playing it that way. And that bass that he played, it was a Gibson RD bass. I mean, that thing weighs like 40 pounds. It's so, it's solid wood, just so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and the neck is long and he's so big. And he like, he was so tall that he couldn't even get a guitar strap long enough. So he'd have to double it up with like a towel. He'd, like, basically, like, you hang a towel out the window to, like, climb out of a place when it's on fire. He would have to do that for his bass strap. And it was just one of those things. And the way that he played the bass, nobody else did it like him. His feel, the way he strummed up and down. And it was that thing. Those three simple elements, the way he played the bass, the way I played the drums, the way Kurt played guitar and sang, that is why the band sounded the way it did. It just sounded like that.
1: The band blows up, you know, again, you got to read the book, but the band blows up, you know, you're knocking off like Michael Jackson off the charts. I mean, Nirvana's the shit. I mean, it changed music. I mean, the the, the 90s really changed. You know, Lars was on here the other day talking about how Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam, they changed music. And he gave his whole discourse on that. It was great. I, I, I want you to hear it. But you felt really like the band was huge when you went on saturday night live like that was the the the, sort of the marker for you what was it about saturday night live that turned you on so much was it just that you'd seen so many legendary bands
2: yeah i mean when i was young uh, first of all you have to my musical background it starts with the beatles and steve martin records Right, right. I mean, now right. it, <clears throat> it makes perfect sense to me. Now I'm a, I'm a fucking I'm part comedian, part fucking rock and roller, and that's right. where it started. But I would watch Saturday Night Live, and and beyond, like the brilliant cast in the '70s and the great skits and stuff like that. The musical guests they had were so. I, they were, they were all legends, you know, and it was so right. diverse. You'd have like Peter Tosh one weekend, then the next weekend you'd have the B-52s, then the next weekend you'd have David Bowie, then the next weekend. I mean, I wikipedia this when I was writing the book and I'm like, I can't even believe, like this is insane. It's like more than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's totally amazing. Good. But yeah. so that gave me so, that gave me a musical education. I spent so much time watching that television show, watching those skits and those artists that when I first walked in there, I mean honestly, it was like walking into, you know, this 15 chapel. I was just like, I can't this is it. I've I have a the, my life dream is totally happening right now. And I've oh. been lucky enough over the last thirty years, I've done it fourteen times now. And every yeah. time I walk in, I think about the time I saw the B fifty twos tearing it up on that stage, and that inspired me to become a musician.
1: Yeah, I watched that um, that Nirvana uh, appearance with, for the Saturday Night Live. I watch it all the time. It's really, it's actually really good. Did it, did it mean as much to Kurt and 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 Chris to to be on Saturday Night Live, or was it just you? Like, did they hold that in high regard, or was it just like, eh, it's another thing? I think everybody
2: felt the same felt thing, that, but it was. But I think uh, we we all processed it in different ways. Like that level of popularity, like I think that it's. I think it it. In a lot of ways, I think it's it's scared Kurt and it, I was sort of on the other end where I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is I don't have to go back to f- the fucking furniture warehouse. Holy shit. Like, right. I could I can I can have an apartment of my own now. Like,
1: fuck those corn dogs. <laughs> like, I'm going to
2: fucking make something good to eat.
1: No van. Know? Yeah, you know, oh yeah no no van anymore. Well, but by the way, you, you broke your stick at the beginning of that performance. What Your drumstick. What yeah. happens when you you have another one there? Well, does that fuck you up? I mean, it doesn't sound to me. I've watched it. I it doesn't sound bad. I mean, I mean, you usually have a,
2: a you know an extra stick either on this side or this side in the event that that happens, you could just like grab one like a ninja in between beats and um, yeah, it was terrifying.
4: <laughs> yeah, right
2: that there was a worst case scenario let's just say worst case scenario that yeah. then i finally wind up on that stage and in the first song i just snap a stick and the only way i could get out of it was just like grab another one and hope nobody notices you know
1: does that happen a lot No it probably does i mean you hit it pretty hard well it did
2: because i don't know what the fuck i'm doing so i'm not right i'm not hitting it right and it's backwards and i'm fucking the total jackass so yeah it would happen
1: all right. I was told you have to get out at 10 o'clock. I'm so enjoying this conversation. I have about a million more questions about the book. I mean, we're we're only up to nirvana, but I recommend this book to everybody. If you love rock and roll and, and you've always said to yourself, gee, what would it be like to sit and talk to Dave about his career? The book really kind of handles that well. It's called Storyteller. Comes out next Tuesday, October 5th. Also, I want to mention that, uh, excitingly, I mean, we talked about this the last time. You're going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you're already in for Nirvana, but Foo Fighters are going in. Did you come up with someone, uh, to induct you yet? Have you, have you approached? I said you should get Dave Letterman to do it. What did you do do? Did you go out and get him? I don't think I can tell you yet. Why? <laughs> we always have they secrets. Have,
2: they have to make that decision. I can't blow it, but uh-huh. I think it's, it, it, they have to make that decision when they're going to tell everyone. So, I um, should. yeah. But it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm really excited. Like to be honest, to see Nate, Taylor and Pat get into the rock and roll Hall of Fame, it's like to me, it's like, those are my guys, you know? So I'm, of course I'm honored to be in there with Nirvana and I'm honored that they're, they're doing the foos thing too. But I look at like Pat Smear, dude. Pat Smear
1: is going to be in the rock and roll Hall of Fame. That's so amazing. Pat Smear is such a fun entertainer to watch when you guys play and he does like that little dance move. Like he'll, when he gets excited, he starts jumping up and down. I love that. I wish I could jump up and down and play the guitar. That would be a a real goal of mine. Like I, I can't (laughs) play sitting down.
2: As I was writing this book, I'm like, shit, Pat's got to write a book. Pat's gonna have to write a book because I mean, his stories, like this, my stories are like kind of cool and whatever. His stories are fucking insane. (laughs) I like that guy. (laughs) I asked him. I'm like, why don't you write a book? He goes, oh, I am writing a book. I said, really? (laughs) He goes, yeah, for one person. I was like, who's that? He said, my daughter. So he's going to write his life story and give it to his daughter.
1: Oh, that's cool. I like that idea. Well, maybe he'll end up releasing it, but I like that guy's energy. I like your whole band, you know. I'm fond of Taylor. I like all the guys. Yeah, you got good guys. Best crew. Good crew, for sure. Also, Foo Fighters Radio returns to Sirius XM Channel 105 this Friday, October 1st. So uh, that's exciting. I'm glad to have you here with us and, uh, you know, be part of that whole thing with Sirius XM. That's really nice. Uh, There's so much more to the book. I've only given you a little taste. Uh, you've done it again. You wrote a great book. It really is. People are going to love it. They're going to have so much fun with it. Uh, good for yes, you, man. Sorry. I heard Thanks, you're going to do a reading. I got to go to that. That's funny. Let me tell you something. Like, Yeah, they were like, well, let's
2: do some live engagements. I'm like, all right. Like, what do I do? Do I just Yeah, like, what do you do? <laughs> like, do I just sit on a stool and read the book and then play some songs? And then I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm, I'm going to make a show. And so I fucking made a show. And so it's like... It's, there's, it's, it's a production. I just, I I just fucking wrote it on Sunday. I did it last night for the first time in London. And it's like, I demonstrate all of these things throughout my life, how I learned how to play this, how I learned how to play that. I play drums along to Nirvana songs. I fucking get up. I tell stories of my entire life with this slideshow as I'm clicking through it and telling
1: all these things in the book. You are cursed like I am. People say (laughs) to me, you want to do something simple? Just go read your book. You know, just. And you sit there and you go, no, it's not good enough. And you know what that is? We don't think people can love just what the thing is. Like, we have to make it into a whole production. Then you're pulling out the slides. Now you're pulling out your guitar. Now (laughs) you're pulling... And essentially essentially now more pressure than doing a a fucking arena show. It's crazy. Well, this is the thing. In most of these crossroads
2: that I've talked about, you know why I did these things? Because I didn't know if I could do them. Like, these things that I was like, why did I, like... Become a singer in a band. I was a fucking drummer. I could have stayed behind those drums for the rest of my life. Why did I start the Foo Fighters? Because I wasn't sure if I could fucking do it. And so I put that challenge in front of me to prove to myself I could fucking do it. So just like last night in London, that first show that I've ever done where I'm like wandering around. It was like a fucking Broadway show. You know, why can't you just
1: why, why can't you take a section of your book and just read it? I say it's because you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Interesting. That, I yeah. I see it a little bit differently. I see
2: it as um that's not that's not good enough for me. Like I, why? That's too fucking easy. Like it's just too fucking really? easy to go that's up how and you do the it? easy. I I really do. Like why? And also like I want to do something that people are like, holy fucking shit! I cannot believe he does that too. Like because you
1: have things. to be the greatest book reader of all time that's the problem so it's not going to be fun for you it's going to be pressure for you
2: well i don't know if i feel that way i i also feel like if i'm going to bring them a little joy then i'm going to bring them a lot of fucking joy like if i'm going to make them smile i'm going to make them fucking piss their pants
1: oh yeah you're you're gonna you're gonna give them a lot of joy you're not doing some book reading you're doing a whole one-man show so now how
5: do you get into that you just buy the book that's a Broadway show. You're supposed to pay yeah. money for that.
2: Well, do yeah, that for I me mean, now. Believe me, they're paying fucking money for that. Don't worry. Y'all. I'm Good. getting fucking paid. Damn right. uh, No, I think like you buy paid. a ticket and you get a book with the ticket or something like that.
1: Okay. Dave Grohl's book is called, it's his memoir. And it's a hell of a memoir The Storyteller. And uh, he did a beautiful job with this book. I had such a delightful time reading this thing. Um, and uh, the book comes out Tuesday. October fifth, uh, Dave. Thanks. I know you got to be out of here because I would in like man. seventeen hours. It's it's never it's never long. It's never enough. enough. Never it enough. It was right.
5: great to but hear great you to... telling the stories because you are a storyteller, and oh. my God, some of the grit in these stories I, is amazing.
1: I am so mad at you, by the way. I forgot right. to bring this up because I only have an hour with you, but just real quick, I got to tell you this. That part, I don't fucking believe in ghost stories or anything. And there's this yeah. huge section of the book that's unbelievable where Dave kind of proves that his house was haunted. <laughs> but I, I read on a Kindle and my wife's asleep and the room was dark. And you know that part of the book where you say the ghost face was like right up to yours? Oh, so yeah? all of a sudden I start getting affected by this. I'm sitting there in the dark and I'm like, I think there's a face next to me, it's a, and I'm like, this fucking guy. I, I I really almost skipped over it because I was getting all freaked out. I mean, uh, it's not, it fucks me up for a really. I
2: had to it I lived in that house for another year and a half.
1: I was like, whatever. There's a fucking ghost in here. Okay. Here's the thing that freaked me out about that: the guy who comes to visit you and he says, hey. Dave, your house is weird. Every time I come here, I feel something following me around. And you would never even talk to him about the ghost. That just the fucking we'll house was this. haunted.
2: Howard, there was a ghost in the fucking there's house. There's No such. You
1: know, there's no such thing.
2: Listen, I never thought about it. I never gave, I I wasn't a ghost person. I never thought that, but there was something in that fucking house. I swear to God, dude, I swear to you. And I was having these reoccurring dreams of this fucking old woman with like muddy feet and this torn sweater with fucked up hair standing in my living room. Like I'd come around the corner and she'd be standing in my living room fucking staring at me dead silent.
1: I don't know when I'll see you again, but when we do, I want to talk about the ghost story and I want to talk about this chick who brings you to the psychic. Uh, because I don't believe in psychics either. And then the whole extraterrestrial thing, and she says it's not a dream, we're going to talk about that. Okay, don't, I'm in. Don't. Uh, oh, you just do get that. ready for that, all right? That's okay, a little cool. teaser. Okay. He's like the new Stephen King now, all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm
5: saying to myself, this is the plot for a movie. Rockstar buys a house, and it's Haunted.
1: Yeah, I'm actually, uh,
5: there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've actually bought the rights to that part of the story. I'm actually producing it. God damn it. it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, listen, I, I, I guess you got a lot to do today. Uh, uh, love and kisses, and thanks for being here, and good luck with the book. It's wonderful. Thanks, uh, guys. There he is.
5: Bye. Take Dave care. Groll. See
1: you guys. Yep. Bye. Dave Grohl. He knows. He knows. So they, they told me he's got to be out by one hour, so I did it.
5: Very busy.
1: Huh? Yeah, I had a lot to talk to him about. I didn't even... Yeah, I was disc- kept
5: waiting for the ghost story, and I was like, "Oh, he's gonna run out of time." Well, I guess he we can't would get talk and it. rock
1: and roll. Well,
4: listen, but it was so
5: I- awesome. Some of those stories are just amazing. Yeah. Uh, you you'd know, like just the book. The little nitty gritty stuff about being in a band and yeah. the way you have to live and the things you're surviving on, and then the musical stuff that no. comes out as you're just going through this crazy life is. Really great,
1: yeah, the whole book is filled with that stuff, and i'm a I'm a sucker for that. I mean, I love hearing how musicians figure this shit out and and um he goes into a lot of detail, but
4: yeah, well that's what's everything. wonderful he uh
5: he remembers the details of the story, so well, that's what he's really says. alive, you know like it's when you can flesh it out like that, it becomes real to the person reading it as opposed to, and then we went to blah blah blah, you know,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, he even says in the book, for some reason, I'm blessed with a memory. I can actually remember all of these details. Yeah. Uh, so he's lucky that way. I know when I write a book, I got to have Fuffa remind me of what I've done. I literally don't remember yesterday, but, um, but even yeah. When and, he was
5: telling that little story about writing the song with Mick. That was amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, this ghost story thing, it really did weird me out. I was reading in the dark and, uh, he has this thing where this ghost that he it was, this, he could see, he could feel the face like right up next to his when he was sleeping. And all of a sudden I started getting weirded out and I was like, I can't believe what an asshole I am. I'm getting weirded out. Like I've never had That's a ghost like in my house
5: listening to Sal and then going into yeah. his Billy stories. I mean,
1: exactly
5: that, it's, it's Dave's story. You don't have to start seeing it. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, there's a lot to it. You know, there's a lot to talk about. That's why if somebody writes a book, I need about nine hours with them because Don't I have a lot of questions, think,
5: though, that when people have great imaginations, they can almost imagine anything and make it seem real to themselves. That's what I think ghost stories are.
1: Yeah, he's got a lot of UFO stuff. He's 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 got a bunch of things But that,
5: all of that. You can imagine anything. He's got a great imagination.
1: I had this whole, this, this whole thing in the book. And I, I mean, I didn't get to, I mean, he, he gave me an hour, which is fine, but there's this whole thing like that I've, I've, you know, he, he loves Paul McCartney and they've worked together and everything. And they even won a Grammy together with that song they did. But, um, I was thinking about the similarities. Paul McCartney is in the Beatles. He played bass, but he could play every other instrument. In fact, then some of the Beatles tracks, he's even done the drums. Yeah. He's done the lead guitar. He's done the whole thing. Leaves the Beatles, and his first album, he goes to a barn, and Paul McCartney records every single song on his own, playing every instrument, every track on there is for all Paul McCartney. Dave Grohl's in Nirvana. He's thought of as the drummer. Turns out he can play guitar, and he plays a whole bunch of instruments. He leaves Nirvana. Nirvana ends. He goes off and plays every instrument, writes every song for the first Foo Fighters album. And look at the parallels between those two guys. Of course they would love each other. You know.
5: Well, they can and, understand each other. It's like Paul's wandering around the world. How many people really understand what yeah. he's he's done? Really understand it because they can do it too.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, if you're into music, we're doing the show tomorrow. We're not starting our usual time. We're starting at one fifteen, and um, I'm going to have a, Conversation with Mick Jagger, which is super exciting. I've dreamt about that my entire career. I love this guy so much. I mean, it's Mick Jagger, you know, if you love music. It's, again, it's like talking to Mozart or something. He's written every great song there is to write. The the catalog is staggering. I don't even, I wonder if Mick Jagger even could name every song he's ever written. Like, I, I bet you he doesn't, he'd probably have to go, he probably has forgotten great songs, like hit songs he's written.
5: Well, you wonder if, you know, when they're deciding to go out on tour, does he have do to they... relearn songs because no, he hasn't they... played them in so long?
1: I know that they do because uh, they do these uh, intense uh, rehearsals. But anyway, mm-hmm. so tomorrow we start the show at one fifteen. That should be pretty exciting. And uh, what else did I want to tell you? Yeah, well, okay, we're going to end the show. I had a lot of mail from people. I'll get to that Long Island Psych. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow, you know, after I talk to Mick. There's a good sentence. After I talk to Mick, maybe you and I can uh, go through. Uh...
5: So just throw that off. Yeah. After yeah. Mick, maybe I'll do Mick. That,
1: that.
5: Yeah, <laughs> And you're calling him Mick. It's not. Sir Mick. Mr. Jagger.
1: <laughs> just sir. Yes, sir.
5: Sir Jack, Sir Mick.
1: (laughs) No, yeah. Whatever he wants to be called. I'm going to call him Mick, but if he, you know, he wants to be called Mr. Jagger, I'll call him whatever he wants. Well, there's people who
5: walk in here and you Mm. say you can't, you just don't feel right calling them just a simple name like Mick.
1: Right. I'll check with him. Uh, Dave's memoir, The Storyteller, comes out next Tuesday, October 5th. It's available for pre-order wherever books are sold. And also, I told you about Foo Fighters uh, radio making a big return. Yeah. All right. Well,
5: now that you told that Sandy story, was it Sandy his first girlfriend? Yeah. I was listening to the best of you yesterday, and I said, "Oh, I wonder who this is about. Maybe it's Sandy. Is someone getting the best of you now?"
4: Hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. Could be. All that. right. Listen. All right. Peace and love, everybody. And a uh, fa-fa-fooey to you peace all. Peace
10: and love. Peace and peace love. Peace and
1: love. Peace and love to you all. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow peace at a special love, time.
3: Peace and love.
1: <clears throat> Thank you. Bye.
0: Wednesday, on a very special Howard Stern show at 1.15 p.m. Eastern, the interview Howard has waited his entire career for. Legendary Rolling Stones lead singer, frontman, and songwriter, Mick Jagger. Pleased to meet you. Only on The Howard Stern Show. That's crazy.